Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Join us during the summer for the old-time radio children's shows. Now relax, sit back, and enjoy this week's episode. Speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high-o silver, the Lone Ranger. of the Lone Ranger's thrilling fight against outlaws and crime will not be found in the written pages of American history. However, the exciting stories of the mysterious phantom figure of the plains, his great horse Silver, and his faithful Indian companion Tonto are as vivid today as they were in the pioneer days of the West. Adventure returns as silver-shod hoofs thunder down the trails of long ago. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver, old fellow. There's work to be done in Los Palos County. It must hurry. At the end of the Civil War, Bolivar Bates and Hackshaw Hawkins had driven westward with little to show for their careers as soldiers other than a saddlebag stuffed with worthless Confederate paper money. As our story begins, we see them mounted on a pair of sway-backed horses on the road leading to the capital of the territory. Their uniforms are ragged, their belts tightened to the last notches. I tell you, Hex, all teeth right. Teeth just, that's what it is. What do you want, Bolivar? Look at us. Just look at us. Here we are, two of the finest soldiers that ever followed General Bob Lee. And we ain't got no food, no cash, no prospects. All we got is stomachs so plumb full of emptiness they like to bust. Yeah, and a sack of Confederate paper money. Be useful to build a fire with if we had something to cook when the fire was built. $5,000 worth of Jeff Davis paper money that won't buy a mess of beans. Bolivar, can't you think of nothing we can do to get something to eat? I'm powerful hungry. You're hungry. So help me, Hacksaw, if I didn't get blisters riding bareback, 
I'd eat the saddle off General Sherman here. Hold on a second. Here comes a couple of fellows on white horses. They might lend us a hand. One fellow's mad. I ain't particular. Hi there, stranger. Hello, soldier. Stop a minute. Oh, oh, silver. Oh, white fellow. Oh, there. Oh, General Sherman. Oh. General Sherman? Yeah, yes, my horse. He kicked me once when he was in the cavalry, so I up named him after that Yankee. He's seen better days. Mr. General Sherman was once one of the finest horses south of Potomac. Jeb Stewart himself never rode a finer one. So you rode with Jeb Stewart? Sure did. Why, stranger, I was Jeb's right-hand man. Yeah, and I was his left. Go on, Bolivar. You might just as well try it once more. Maybe the masked fella and the engine ain't as known as they look. What do you want to ask me? Well, you see, we got a saddlebag full of paper money that we figured we might trade you for silver. Paper money? It's right handsome. Confederate money? Well, what if it is? It's still pretty looking. You can't spend Confederate money now. We found that out, stranger. Shucks, you knew that, eh? Well, Bolivar, I reckon we're going hungry again tonight. I declare, if I don't see food mighty soon, I won't recollect what to do with it. Maybe we may camp here. Yes, Tyler, this place is fine. Wouldn't you men like to camp here with us? We eat food enough to go around. Food? You mean vittles? The real thing? Yes. Mister, we'd be downright ossified without an outgratitude. Uh, Tonto, Tonto, fix him. We'd be right glad to help you in any way we could, Injun, but I'm afraid the sight of food would be so weakening we wouldn't be worth much as helpers. You men might be able to get jobs if you have a lot of courage. Courage? Stranger, if there'd have been a dozen more like us... The South would have won the war. It'll mean work. Work? Gosh, Hacksaw, you hear that? Well, Barbara, we can swallow our pride for our stomach's sake. Name the job, stranger. We got nerve and courage aplenty. There's been trouble collecting taxes in Los Palmas County. That's so. The ranchers are not in sympathy with the federal government. Men who have been sent out to get the taxes haven't lived long. Oh, I... Gosh, Barbara, how bad do we need that job? Bad enough to take it. Wonder if we can get it. After we've eaten, I'll tell you how to reach the office of Mr. Bradley at Lost Thomas. The Lone Ranger fed the two old veterans, then directed them to Clint Bradley. The masked man and Tonto mounted and rode ahead. That evening, they went to Bradley's home and took cover in the concealing shadows outside, watching the two old men as they meet the tax commissioner. Bradley? Yes. Well, shake the hand of Bolivar Bates. That's me. And Hacksaw Hawkins. That's him. Glad to know you. What can I do for you? Well, it ain't what you can do for us. It's what we hanker to do for you. We aim to collect the taxes. Ah, what's the matter? You want to leave this world? We need jobs. Most farmers people don't like paying taxes to the government. Take a look at what's left of our clothes, Bradley. Maybe we can talk the same kind of language them folks talk. Confederates, eh? And proud of it. Say, uh, you wouldn't want to change some shin plasters for cash, would you? No. If you're really serious about collecting the taxes, you're hired. Come inside, and I'll give you the list of names of what each man owes. The Lone Ranger thought of a plan to aid Bolivar and Hacksaw in the collection of the taxes. The masked man had learned the route the two old soldiers would take, so he and Tonto rode ahead of them. There's the first stop they'll make, Tonto. Barnaby Lee's ranch. Oh. 
We go there first. Huh? Yes, and we'll have to make sure the old men aren't too far behind us. Mm-hmm. You take care of the horses. Oh, Silver. Oh, oh, oh boy. Oh, oh. Take the horses around to the rear of the house. I'll meet you there. Tonto do. Malabar and Hacksaw should be along soon. Them near. Then be here maybe two, three minutes. Very well. I'll meet you later then. Come, Silver. White collar. Who's there? Open the door, Lee. I want to talk to you. Well? What the... You're covered. Don't move. What's this? A hold up? What do you think? Oh, mercy. Bobby, what's the masked man want? Stay right where you are. Bring out your gold and silver. Oh, Robert. Hurry. You mean... Money. You have money here. You've refused to pay your taxes, so you must have money. I'll relieve you of it. Now, hold on. Let's talk this I have no right. time for talking. Bring out the cash. I'll better get it, Barnaby. There ain't no sense in trying to talk him out of robbing us. Yeah, yeah, you better get hold it. Hold on, General Sherman. Someone coming here. Maybe, maybe they'll save us. Listen to me, Lee. I'll be at the rear of the house. I'll keep you covered while those men are here. Betray me and you can guess what will happen. Oh, my sakes alive. Come on, Hacksaw. Here's the first stop and the door's wide open. I'm right with you, Barlow. Get rid of those men as soon as you can. Remember my warning. Barnaby, they're soldiers. Southern ones. Yeah, I see they are. Come walk right in, being as the door is open. If your name is Lee, we hanker to make some talk. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm busy today. Yes, I... and so are we busy. That's why we don't hanker to spend much time here. Lee? You owe the government some tax money. Oh, And I... here's papers signed by Mr. Bradley, which gives us the right to collect that same. Uh, there's the amount you owe. And here's my old persuader to see that you pay up. You you two are tax collectors? Southerners? Yes, so, Lee. And we fit as hard as any ten men again, the Yankees. Now, if we can summon the collecting of the taxes, by thunder, you can stand the paying of them. Yeah. Sure, sure. I'll pay him. Huh? Here's the cash right here. Yeah, we'll we, we pay the taxes, and doggone glad to do it. Well, fry me for a side of bacon. Hey, take the cash. Take it all. Pay up my taxes for the next few years in advance. Now, don't you try no skin games. I take the cash and welcome. Just give me a receipt for it. I'll, I'll mark my X right here, showing I got the cash. Now, you fill in the amount yourself. My eyes ain't good. Hexall, pick up that cash. Sure enough. There. Uh, now I'm paid four years ahead. Uh, good luck to you, gents, and thanks for coming for that cash. I still don't savvy, but I sure can see the cash. I got the cash, Bolivar. Let's get going before Mr. Lee changes his mind. Come on. Must be he's heard of us. And my downright determined look showed him it was no use argifying. Well, there ain't nothing to steal. <laughs> Come on out, you stick-up man. Reckon that's the time I fooled you. Instead of you getting my cash, I paid up my taxes. Where is he, Barnaby? He went back here. I, I thought he'd be shooting me most any second, seeing what I was about to do. I, Hey, you. Where are you? Oh, there he goes. Look at him travel. An engine with him. Silver. He called that horse Silver, Marthy. Great guns. Maybe I wasn't so smart after all. The masked man carried on with his plans. He raced away from Lee's ranch only to join Tonto and ride to the next place where Bolivar and Hacksaw would call. There they again pulled as robbers. Don't make a move. Bring out your savings. I'll take the money you've been refusing to pay out in taxes for the last year. Yeah, but strangely... Bring it out. Someone coming here. Get rid of them as soon as you can. I'll be in the kitchen. Sure, I'll 
pay my taxes. There's the cash right there. Don't go to Bolivar. There's something wrong about this, but I'll be a six-legged calf if I can sadly what it is. There's my tax money. Take it and welcome to it. Thanks for coming. Hacksaw. I've never seen the like of it. Come on, Oliver and Hacksaw called to collect the overdue taxes, they found the ranchers surprisingly willing to pay. Men who had loudly claimed they'd never give the government its money turned over their cash to the two old soldiers without a word of protest. Oliver and Hacksaw carried on for several days. We join them as they make camp for the night. 950, 60, 70, 80. 980 dollars. Now, Dad, right, it ain't that something magnanimous. Sure, something. Why, shucks, Oliver. Folks are downright scared out in their wits of us. Must be the steely look I get in my eye. That ain't it, Hackshaw. It's the ring of determination in my voice that gets them. I never seen folks pay up like they've been doing. We better get this cash back to Mr. Bradley before it gets too heavy for General Sherman to tote. Bolivar, I've been having notions about that cash. What do you mean, Hacksaw? Wishing it was ours. Shucks, we ain't cut out to be outlaws. I know that, Bolivar, but all the same... Besides that, our horses ain't built for fast travel. Wonder if we'd have to be outlaws. We got paper money, ain't we? Eh? What's the matter with hiding the silver summers and taking the Confederate shin plasters to Mr. Bradley? Mmm. I wonder if it'd work. Tell him that's all the Las Palmas County folks had, so we had to take it. Hacksaw, maybe you've got a notion that it'd work. We had to take Confederate paper, didn't we? Sure we did. Why should we get stuck with it when we can pass it on and keep the silver for ourselves? By thunder, Hacksaw, we could do it. And we will. Bradley can't catch us because he won't never know. And none of the folks around here will be speaking to him. They wouldn't have reason to. They're too far away from his office. Besides that, they don't have no use for him because he's a Yankee. Hacksaw... We've been honest men all our lives, but right here and now is where we change. We get dishonest and do it so slick, we won't never get catched. The curtain falls on the first act of our thrilling Lone Ranger drama. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. to continue our story. Bolivar and Hacksaw, two Civil War veterans, had collected nearly $1,000 in silver. They were tempted to keep the cash for themselves and turn over an equal amount in worthless Confederate money to the authorities. We see them now before the desk of Clint Bradley, the federal official in charge of the collection of taxes. This is Confederate money. 
Yep, that's what is, Mr. Bradley. But the folks we got it from was Confederate folks. Worthless. Now, ain't that a doggone shame? I sort of thought you'd be having a kind word for a couple of old glutes that done the best they knowed how in fulfilling your orders. I suppose it's not your fault. Boss, we just risk our lives into firing the folks and making them pay up. I tell you, it won't easy. Maybe we'll raise some hard cash in the next calls we go out to make. I hope so. We figured we'd better tote in what we had. Yes, of course. Well, we'll get moving again. Old Jeb Stewart will tell you that Bolivar Bates and Hacksaw ain't men that give up. We're a couple of the most determined men that Come you... back when you've made some more collections. Yes, sir. Sure as thunder we will. Come on, Bolivar. Come on, Hacksaw, coming. Good day to you, Mr. Bradley. Goodbye and good luck. Paper money, Confederate money. This stuff won't pay the bills to run the government. Get up, Bradley. Huh? Oh, hello, my friend. Those two old men who just left I'm here. afraid your plan was a failure because the settlers didn't have silver money. They did have. But this here is the tax money those men just brought in. I know it. Bradley, we put temptation in the way of two poor old men. What do you mean? They collected silver, but they hid it. What? It's hidden under a rock. They replaced it with their own worthless paper money. Why, those double-crossing One old moment. thieves? They aren't thieves at heart, Bradley. They stole. They, they took the money. They made a mistake, but it isn't too late to correct it. How? Show them that they'll have nothing to gain by what they did and make use of them in collecting the rest of the Lost Palmas County taxes. And let them steal more money? No, Bradley. You know that your regular collectors failed in every case. Yes. While Bolivar and Hacksaw made a collection in almost every place they went to. With your help. Nevertheless, where ranchers had the cash, they paid their taxes. Agreed. But what is your plan? Let Bolivar and Hacksaw carry on. Then? Then let them come in here with the rest of the taxes they've collected. And then what? Teach them a lesson they'll never forget. A lesson that will make them useful citizens in a country that needs good men. I don't have much hope for that, but I will listen to your plan. When the Lone Ranger left Bradley, he continued his earlier plan. He rode ahead of Bolivar and Hacksaw, stopping wherever ranchers owed tax money. Come on, Silver! Get along now, General Sherman. I darn hacksaw. If I weren't a modest man, I'd be out not stuck up by the way we managed to get them taxes without so much as a complaint. What gets me is the way folks sometimes thank us for the taking of the cash. Get up there. Get along now. I never seen the like of it. That masked man wasn't no outlaw at all, Ma. He was here for no other reason than to make us pay the taxes. After several busy days, Bolivar and Hacksaw had completed their collections. They returned to their camp, hid the gold and silver that had been paid them for taxes, and substituted worthless Confederate money once more. Then they mounted and rode again to Clint Bradley's office. There's Mr. Bradley at the door. Thank goodness you gents are back safe. Come on in. We figured on. What's the matter, Mr. Bradley? I've been worried about you. You didn't meet any killers, did you? Gosh, no. Well, come in. Come inside. It's a good thing we've got some extra rooms here. You men are just two jumps ahead of a lot of trouble. Golly, now what? You have the money? Uh, we, uh, we got the saddlebags here. They got the paper money in them. Yeah. Still paper money? Uh-huh. Well, it isn't the money I'm worried about. I'd hate to be the cause of the death of two men like you. The, the what? Death? Yes. Word has come here, there's a chance that the Lost Palmas people are angry at the way you made them pay the taxes. 
They're likely to come here looking for you. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, we'll just turn this cash over and hightail it away from here. There's a list of the names and the money each is paid. Yes. Too bad that it's all Confederate money. I'd hope we could pay you your commissions in silver. Well, being as you got that paper, reckon we'll have to be satisfied with some of the same for our pay. Too bad. A man can buy this money for about ten cents on the dollar. We ain't men to complain, though. Now, if you leave us go... I couldn't think of letting you risk your lives. You'll have to wait until tomorrow before you leave. Till tomorrow? Yes. If you started out now, you might meet the ranchers heading this way. Tomorrow I'll send a guard with you. Uh, but, Mr. Bradley, we could head north. Old General Sherman is the headiest horse you ever seen when he heads north. No, the responsibility for your lives rests with me. Now, you stay here for tonight. I have a room where to be quite safe. Tomorrow we'll see about getting you away from here. But, Dad, rather, Mr. Bradley... You I... men are my responsibility. No, no we don't. I can't shirk my duty. I know, I Just but... come right in here, and I'll show you where you can sleep. And I'll see that your meals are brought to you. Hang it, Hacksaw. We ain't no choice. Look here, Bradley. I'll protect you if I have to use a gun to put you in your bedroom. Hey, this year looks like a jail to me. Look at them bars on the window. They won't get at you here. And we won't get at nothing while we're in here. Not even sunlight. Cheer up. It's only for one night. If you'd committed a crime, you'd spend years here. Then you'd have something to complain about. You ain't going to lock us in, are you? Of course. How else could I be sure you'd be safe? You're treating us just like prisoners. Cheer up. It won't be for long. Well, by thunderation, if this ain't a fine kettle of fish we got into. Oliver, I don't like what he said about being crooked and staying here for years. How in thunder did he think I felt about it? If them ranchers get here and tell him they paid in silver instead of paper money, we will stay here. We'll never see the light of day. That ain't the worst of it. Did you hear what he said about being able to buy the shin plasters for a dime a dollar's worth? He knows, Bolivar. There ain't no two ways about it. Mr. Bradley knows as sure as you're both. And then even if he don't know, look at what happened. Huh? Just suppose he does leave us go tomorrow with a guard to see us to the north. Dad, Bradley, we won't have no chance to get that silver. Oh, gone. I never thought of that. Hacksaw, we are just a couple of plain and fancy doggone fools and idiots. We ain't cut out for crime, Bolivar. Mr. Bradley's opening the door to the office inside. Maybe he'll have grub first. Crackety bread and water go all right with me. Here he is. Morning, gents. Did you sleep good? When we slept. But we slept darn little. I never slept a wink. These jails are awful. Well, step out. Your horses are ready and you can head north. You mean that? Sure. I guess that was just a scare about the ranchers. There ain't been no more word from them. And we're free to travel? Of course. Is there any reason why you shouldn't be free? Jumpin' Juniper. Look at all the silver piled on that desk. Oh, that. <laughs> yes, I'm counting it. Why, that? It's a sizable sum there. Must be close to a couple of thousand dollars. Mm. Where, where'd it come from? Just an affair of the government, that's all. Oh, there's that redskin. Hello there, Tarno. Oh. He brought some of that silver in. Oh, what? Uh, where'd he get it? Now, Jan don't get curious about the business of the government. You got your commission on the tax collection. In paper money. That's what you brought me. Uh, but, Mr. Bradley, we... Uh, that is, uh, it's no good for spending. I know it. But you and those who gave me the tax money in paper expect the county bills to be paid with it. Well, good luck to you, gents. Reckon we'll be needing it. Come on, Hexall. Come on, Bolivar. Goodbye. Bye. 
Dad ratted all hacksaw, we still ain't at a man's meal. Let's get for a hiding place as fast as them horses can take us. Yeah, let's travel fast. Get along now, General Sherman. Get along. Get to the ground. Dig up under that rock as fast as you can. Oh, come on, Hatchaw. Give me a hand. Hello there. There's the masked man. Hi, stranger. How did you make out with the tax collections? Well, uh, we made out... Uh... Yeah, but we got paper money. Confederate money that ain't no good. Yeah, so that's what we was paid our commission with. And Dad ratted all, mister. We still ain't got no cash to spend. Are you sure you were paid in Confederate money? Well, uh, we, uh... I once uh... heard of tax collectors who thought they could put one over on the government. Huh? They hid the silver they collected and turned in Confederate money. They they did? Yes, but they were sorry for it. There are several kinds of men in the world. What do you mean by that? Sometimes men turn crooked without being crooks at heart. Those men can be made to see their mistake and changed into worthwhile citizens. The West needs that kind of men. Yeah, I reckon so. Other men are naturally bad. They don't take advantage of the second chance that's given them to make good. They're the kind who spend all their lives in jail or end up at the end of a rope. But what's all this to do with us, mister? You men were tax collectors. I hope you were good ones because I got you that job. If you fell down on it, it would betray the trust I put in you. Oh. Oh. And by the way, did you see anything of my Indian friend? Yeah, we seen him this morning in Mr. Bradley's office. Very well. I'll join him there. Come on, Silver. That's all. What'd you make of what he said? I don't know what to make of it, Bolivar, but I was darn uneasy when he was saying it. Doggone it. I wish we hadn't turned crook. Well, we did. And we better get that silver cash and head north. Come and help me load it. Yeah, now. Hexall, what's the matter? It's gone. What? Our silver ain't here. Someone's took it. I bet that masked man got it. That's why he was here. He's seen us hiding it, I bet. Bolivar, I'm dull-witted and slow-thinking, but by dern, it's finally got through my head that the silver we seen on Bradley's desk was that same silver that we had hid here. And we got swindled out of our commission. Hacksaw, it's as plain as the nose on your face. They know we tried to swindle them, and they wanted us to know it. Yeah, and we lost our commissions for doing that same. No, we had it coming. We ain't cut out for crooks. Now all we can do is chaw that sail grub that's in our saddlebags, if that's still there. And let it be a darn good lesson. Why, I... Oliver, don't tell me we ain't even stale bread left. What's that look on your face for? Why, there's something in the saddlebag. What is it? Silver cash. Money. Hard cash. Wait, here's something else. A bullet. Forty-five. Hacksaw, this year bullet is of silver. Get it. Do you get it? It's sort of confusing. Remember what the masked man said? He got the silver, he turned it in, and put our commission into the saddlebag in cash. Yes, so. And the silver bullet to let us know who he was. Silver bullet. Horse named Silver. The Lone Ranger's given us a chance to go straight, Hackshaw. I don't hanker to see no jail again. We are going straight.
have just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. on the protection of Band-Aid brand with the unique Super Stick adhesive. Remember, only Johnson & Johnson makes Band-Aid brand. Stand by for Space Cadet in 30 seconds. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Yes, Kellogg's brings you the secret of a more delicious breakfast treat. It's new, it's wonderful, it's Kellogg's Raisin Bran, both fruit and cereal, all in one box. You get plump, tender raisins dipped in honeycomb, along with delicious gold and crisp bran flakes. So try the new fruit and cereal combination, get Kellogg's Raisin Bran, because... Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. And now, Kellogg's Corn Flakes, the cereal that helps you have more punch till lunch, invites you to rocket into the future with... Oh, Corbett! Face Cadet! Stand by to raise ship. Blast off minus five, four, three, two, one, zero! As rolling rockets blast off to distant planets and far-flung stars, we take you to the age of the conquest of space with... Tom Corbett! Space Cadet! It is close to midnight when a lone figure in the trim uniform of a space cadet enters a dimly lit street shelter to wait for an air cab. The place is deserted, and as the young man settles himself on one of the benches, he looks at his watch anxiously. After a few moments, a small ferret-faced man sidles in from the street and eyes the cadet furtively. Oh, did you have a light, mate? Huh? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I haven't. Hey, you're from Space Academy, aren't you? Yes, sir. Cadet Tom Corbett. I thought I recognized the uniform, but I always heard they were pretty strict about letting cadets out on the town. Well, I'm on a weekend leave. Tell me something. Do you cadet fellows ever get out into space much? Oh, sure. We go on cruises all the time. You know, I'm a spaceman myself. You are? Uh Uh-huh. Deep spacer. And all the way to Sirius. Ever been that far, Corbett? No, not yet. Uh, Why don't you go in for a commercial flight and merchant ships? Pays good and... They need experienced hands. Need them bad. I guess they do, but I want to stay at the academy. In the old days, if they needed a space hand for a voyage and they couldn't hire one, well, they just grab one. You you mean some of the ships actually Shanghai crew members? Now and then, if a fellow happened to have special qualifications like you have, mate. Hey, what's up? Stop! <laughs> well, mate, I hope they don't wait up for you at Space Academy. Because you're going to be missing a long, long time. Oh. Oh. Take it easy, lad. Take it easy. Hey, where am I? And who are you? I'm Jim Harris. 
You're aboard the Constellation. The Constellation? Look, I don't know exactly what happened or how I got here, but I've got to get back to the Academy by midnight. Tonight, Sunday. Sunday? (laughs) What's so funny? Well, this is already Monday. It's 0700 Earth time. 07. But my leave, I've got to... Say, what happened to my uniform? What uniform? My Academy uniform. Don't you understand? I'm a space cadet. Space cadet? Hey, you must have had a worse bump than I thought you had. Stop stalling. I'm Tom Corbett of Space Academy. Now I want to know who took my uniform and put me in these dungarees. And how did I get here? Well, if I were you, son, I'd, I'd just relax and have a bite of breakfast. You've got work to do. What are you talking about? You're a member of this ship's crew. We blasted off last night and we're headed for deep space. Great jumping Jupiter. I've been Shanghai. That's right. And you might as well make up your mind to one thing. You ain't going to see Space Academy for a long, long time. Mmm, there's action ahead for Tom Corbett, all right. You know, fellas and girls, an exciting adventure is apt to pop any minute around Space Academy. That's why a space cadet keeps himself supplied with quick energy food. So for morning chow at Space Academy, you can bet there's a box of Kellogg's Corn Flakes on every table. That's right, all you future space cadets, boys and girls. Morning chow always means Kellogg's cornflakes time to us. And how we go for them here at Space Academy. The trick is to get to the table before that box is empty. And you don't want to lose any time getting at those Kellogg's cornflakes. Let me tell you, they help you make a quick blast off because Kellogg's cornflakes are quick energy food. You heard what Astro had to say. So tomorrow morning and any morning, pour yourself a big bowl full of those golden, sweet, crisp, and tender flakes. You'll be helping yourself to more punch till lunch. More punch till lunch. More punch till lunch with Kellogg's Cornflakes. As the rocket ship Constellation hurtles through the cold blackness of space away from Earth, Tom Corbett regains consciousness to find himself clad in space dungarees instead of his cadet uniform and learns from Harris, a crew member, that he has been shanghaied and that he is now bound for deep space. Now Tom angrily paces the deck of the crew's quarters. Listen, Harris, who is the captain of this ship? A fellow by the name of Pickering. You ever hear of him? No. Uh, You will. By the rings of Saturn, he'll hear from me. I'm going to demand that this ship be put back to Earth and this man Dawson arrested. Hey, now look, son, I feel sorry for you, and that's a fact. But you're in this now, and you won't find any way to get out. What I will see. Hey, listen, if there was a way out, don't you think I'd take it myself? You mean you were Shanghai, too? Yeah, more or less. Hey, watch it. This must be Dawson. All right, you space rats. You're too. You, you, you're the guy. What? You're the one who Shanghai'd me. Huh? What's the matter with this kid, Harris? Acceleration well, getting him? Listen, Dawson, you're going to turn this ship back to Earth. You have no right to hey, take hey, me out. Hey, your tubes. Who do you think you're talking to? What's your name, anyhow? You know my name. Tom Corbett. I'm a space cadet. Is that right? Well, glad to meet you. My name's Commander Arkwright. Now listen, Dawson. You listen, mister. Your information. The papers you signed read George Stevenson, and that name's good enough for me. Now turn to and be quick about it. I didn't sign any papers. Take me to the captain. The captain? Yes, I want to talk to the captain. Oh, you do? I've got a right to talk to him. He looks done. Better let it run. Let him finish, Harris. He'll talk himself right into the brig. We'll let the captain decide about that. Okay, if you're so set on it, I'll take you up to the control deck right now. Now, that's more like it. You can have your talk with Captain Pickering. Only don't say I didn't give you a fair warning.
Captain Pickering's arson committed a crime and bringing me aboard this ship. You've got to take me back. Lad, I don't like space lawyers on my ship, and I don't like Billy Akers either. Now, stow the chatter and get below. But I'm a space cadet. You've got to take me back. This is insubordination, mister. All I'm asking is that you let me contact Commander Arkwright at the Academy. He'll verify my story. That's enough, Mr. Dawson. Take this man below and put him in the brig. Yes, sir. Come on, you. No, I'm not leaving the bridge until you let me call the Academy. I'm not going to be a... Maybe that'll show you who's running this ship. Now, Dawson, take him below and lock him up. Commander Rockright here. Lieutenant Saunders reporting, sir. Oh, yes, Saunders. Any word on Corbett yet? No, sir, none. Hmm, 12 hours over leave. Can't believe this. If Corbett, he was always a most efficient cadet. But this is serious. Yes, sir. Captain Strong has a request to make, sir. What is it? Cadets Astro and Manny, Corbett's roommates, are worried about his disappearance. They've asked permission to investigate. Hmm, what do they want to do? They know their roommates have it, sir. They're sure something happened to him, and they want to check on his activities. Captain Strong requests they be granted permission. Very well. You may tell Strong they may be relieved of duty for the rest of the day. Aye, aye, sir. And you may also tell Captain Strong that when Corbett is found... He will be disciplined severely. Who's there? Oh, it's me, matey. I brought you some lunch. Oh, well, thanks, Harris. You feeling all right, Tom? Yes, no thanks to that captain, though. Listen, Harris, you said you'd give anything to get off this ship yourself. Yeah, I would. But you can't buck Pickering and Dawson. Well, maybe we can. I got a look at the navigation chart when I was on the control deck. On our present course, we crossed the orbit of Venus. That's no secret. We put in at Venus port for fuel and supplies before blasting off to deep space. That's our answer, then. We'll be there in a few hours. Sure, we'll be there. And you'll be here, locked in the brig the whole time. Not if you'll help me. Help you? How? When we land at Venusport, watch your chance and slip open the bolts on that door. I'll get out and find the port commander. Well, then what? He'll arrest Pickering and Dawson. And the ship won't be given clearance to leave Venus. Oh, I don't know. If they ever caught me... As long as you have the run of the ship and keep quiet about it, we can't fail. All right, Tom, I'll do it. Good for you. Now take the tray back and act as though nothing has happened. Yeah, right you are. Just a minute, Harris. Mr. Dawson. Stay right where you are. I was just going to take this tray back to the galley. It can wait. You know, Harris, I didn't think you were so stupid. Stupid, sir? Didn't you think we'd have the brig rigged with a telecam? Great galaxy, then you heard every word we said. Yes, and saw you too. Oh, no. So you were planning to jump ship, Mr. Harris. No, no, he wasn't going to desert. And he was going to help you, which is the same thing. So you two don't leave this brig until we've blasted off from Venus. After that, the captain will have plenty of time to figure out what kind of hooks to throw into you. And believe me, they'll be rough. Saunders, any report on Corbett yet? Only one from Captain Strong, sir. He's checked the passenger and crew manifests of every ship that has blasted off since Sunday. Corbett's not on any of them. Anything else? Yes, sir. Cadets Manning and Astro request permission to continue their investigation on off-duty hours. Very well. But I want Corbett's listing change from Overleave to AWOL. Notify all Earth police to that effect at once. We've got to find him fast.
bulkhead with this bunk, Harris. What are you doing, Tom? Trying to rip it away from the bulkhead. Come on. Are you crazy? Dawson is probably watching every move we make. Don't you think I know it? There. I'm getting it loose. Now, come on. Pull. Okay. There. And there's the telecam lens. I thought so. Hey, what are you doing? Tom, you kicked it out. Of course. Now he can't watch it. You're out of your mind. That'll bring him running. Maybe that's what I want him to do. Those are the braking rockets. We're decelerating for the landing. I know. Which means we've got to work fast. Once we take off from Venus, we might as well be dead. I'd like to know what you expect to do locked in this bridge. We're not going to be locked in here long. Oh, somebody's at the hatch. It's Dawson, I guess. All right, you two. Hey, back against the bulkhead. You didn't lose any time getting here, did you, Dawson? What's the idea of kicking out the telecam lens? To make you come in here. I want to talk to you. Real smart kid, aren't you? Well, I'm here. Talk. How about a deal, Dawson? A deal? Huh? What kind of a deal can you make? When you shanghaied me, you were under Captain Pickering's orders, weren't you? So what? Just this. The Solar Guard will catch up with Pickering sooner or later. And when they do, you'll be as guilty as he is. What are you driving at? If you'll get us off this ship at Venusport, I'll recommend leniency with the Solar Guard. You helped us, so you might even get off scot-free. Don't hand me that. The kid's talking sense, Doc. There's no risk for you. Because even if the idea doesn't work, we won't give you away. Well... How am I supposed to spring you loose? All you have to do is leave this hatch unlocked when we land on Venus. We'll do the rest. What's in this for me? I just told you. It's your chance to get out from under the captain's thumb. You'll be a free man again, Dawson. Ah, no. I won't stick my neck up unless you make it worth my while. All right. Maybe this will change your mind. Huh? Your watch? It's not an ordinary watch. It's platinum. Worth a lot of money. If you help us, it's yours. Hmm. Give it here. Hey, wait, Tom. Not until he promised. I said hand it over. All right. Here. Hey, not a bad watch at that. Thanks, mate. Now hear this. Approaching Venusport. All hands to landing stations. All hands to landing stations. On the double. Hey, I gotta go topside. Wait, Johnson. Will you help us? I'll think it over. What did I tell you, Tom? We've been on the ground for over three hours now. How much longer before we blast off again, Harris? Oh, Fifteen minutes. Well, there's still time. Dawson may come back. Not him. He tricked you. If I could only contact the port commander. Well, shaking that hatch won't do you any good. Jumping Jupiter. Harris, come here. Yeah, what's the matter? Look, this hatch isn't bolted. Well, I'll be... Dawson kept his word. But I sure had that guy pegged wrong. Now, which way is the auxiliary airlock? Down the companionway into the left. Well, and come on. With any kind of break, we'll be off this ship in two minutes. Go ahead, Tom. Nobody spotted us. They're all busy with the loading. Easy, Harris. Stay behind the stabilizer until we're sure of our bearings. Ah, this blasted Venus mist. You can't see a thing. Just as well. Then no one can see us. The administration tower ought to be south of here. Come on. Hey, you better cut over this way, Tom. There'll be guards at the landing tower. Right. All right, you two. All or I'll shoot. It's Dawson. Turn around. Get your hands up. He double-crossed us, the dirty space rat. If you didn't have that gun, Dawson, I'd knock your ears off. 
Throw it. Your deserters caught red-handed jumping ship. I've got every right to blast you, and I think I will. Looks like somebody got some big ideas today. And, fellas and girls, here's another big idea. Give Mom the surprise of her life. Get her the big, colorful ten-piece baking set Kellogg's Corn Flakes is offering. She'll thank you a thousand times. You bet your boots. Because this baking set is so handy, so useful, it actually makes baking fun. Listen to all you get. The most up-to-date mixing bowl, four measuring spoons, all held together so they won't get lost. Four cookie cutters and a special bowl scraper. Your eyes will pop when you see the bright, sparkling colors. Sunshine yellows, cherry reds, brilliant greens. They sure will dress up Mom's kitchen. And the mixing bowl is amazing. Made of the newest plastic, so lightweight and flexible, it's easier for Mom or you to handle. Also, absolutely unbreakable. You can even wash it in hottest water. And wait till you see those cookie cutters. Such keen, sharp edges and such fun. You'll cut cookies to look like hearts, clubs, spades, and diamonds. Mom will thank you, too, for that bowl scraper. Great for beating, scraping, folding. Best of all, you get all ten pieces of this baking set for less money than the bowl alone would cost. It's a great bargain and a great way to surprise Mom. Just do this. Send 50 cents on the top from any two boxes of Kellogg's Corn Flakes to Kellogg's, Box 926, Toronto, Ontario. That's the top from any two boxes of Kellogg's Corn Flakes and 50 cents to Kellogg's, Box 926, Toronto. But hurry, these baking sets are going fast. Escaping from the rocket ship Constellation, Tom Corbett and his friend Harris are betrayed by the first mate, Dawson, who captures them on the mist-shrouded plains of Venus. He is about to blast them with his ray gun when Captain Pickering, the skipper of the Constellation, suddenly appears out of the mist. What's going on here, Mr. Dawson? These men tried to jump ship, Captain. The pair we had in the brig, Stevenson and Harris. Deserters, eh? On the Constellation, we shoot deserters. That's against space law, Captain Pickering. You're supposed to turn over all captured deserters to the Solar Guard. I told you once I don't like space lawyers. That still goes. Let me blast them now, sir. Get rid of them once and for all. No, Mr. Dawson, put them back aboard. I want them in irons and under double guard until we blast off. Aye, aye, sir. Come on, you space rats. Get moving. On the double. Wait a minute. Oh, I said. Captain Pickering, don't you want to know how we got out of the brig? What? Have your troops and move. Ask Dawson how we got out. He took a bribe from us. He let us out. He what? Don't listen to them, Skipper. And how did they get out? Harris, stand by to move. Right. Maybe they walked through the bulkhead, eh? Oh, Skipper, I... I don't know how they did it. You're responsible for them. Get ready. You take out Dawson. Okay. Come on, answer me. They're lying, Skipper. Honestly, I... God, give me that. I'll break every bone in your body. No, Skipper. Let go of my arm. No, no, Time for the chance, Tom. Someone's firing at us. Those are ray gun blasts. We've been spotted by the crew. Come on, run for it. We haven't a chance, Tom. Yes, we have, and a good one. This Venusian mist will cover us in a second. Hurry, over this way. Wait a minute. You're heading away from the control tower. I know. That's where they'll expect us to go. So we'll circle around. Good idea. 
Hold it, Harris. What's the matter? I saw somebody just ahead there in the fog. Down, quick. Hug the ground. He's coming this way. Shh. Keep low. He didn't see us. Which way now, Tom? To the left. Don't run, though. We're still in range. We'll give ourselves up to the first solar guard we can find. Yeah. We can duck those men from the constellation. With... Any sign of them, Captain? Watch it. There's Dawson. Go! Keep pressing, Dawson. Don't let them reach that control tower. What do we do, Tom? We're cut off. Don't lose your head. They don't know where we are. Just keep walking. Mr. Dawson! Here, Captain! Any luck? Not yet, sir. But the men are finding out, though. And then keep your eyes peeled. Drawing a cordon around us, Tom, we're sunk. We've got to slip through somehow. Hey, wait a minute. What's that ahead? Where? That light. By Jupiter, it's the control tower. We're almost there, Harris. Keep going. Another 20 yards and we've made it. Oh, oh no. There's no. It's no use, Harris. They've got it. With only a few yards to go. Now, take see that I've and I'll blast. All right. We know when we're licked. Okay. Let's have a look at you. Hey, Tom. Tom, pipe this guy's uniform. Why, he isn't from the Constellation. Who said I was? You're a port guard. You're from the tower. That's right, and that's where I'm taking you two under arrest. You'll take us to the port commander? This minute. Now, March. Harris, we've made it. Aye, aye. When you explain everything to the port commander, our troubles are over. Well, can't you walk any faster, guard? We're in a hurry. You bet we are. <laughs> the two people under arrest, you look mighty pleased with yourself. Well, I guess it takes all kinds to make a universe. It sure does. And it looks like we're the lucky kind. Don't miss the next action-packed adventure with Tom Corbett and the Space Cadets on Thursday, when the meeting with the port commander suddenly takes a sudden deadly turn, and Tom is sent back aboard the Constellation, headed for deep Tune in, same time, same station, for the next thrilling interplanetary adventure with Tom Corbett, Space Cadet. Brought to you by Kellogg's Corn Flakes, the cereal that helps you have more punch till lunch. Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, starring Frankie Thomas, also appears in the comic sections of many of Canada's leading newspapers. Look for a daily and in weekend edition. Featured in the cast are Al Markham as Astro, Jan Merlin as Roger Manning, and Edward Bryce as Captain Strong. Today's program was directed by Drex Hines. Jackson Beck speaking. day starts out better when breakfast is fun. And one way to make breakfast fun is to have a different cereal every morning. How? That's easy. Easy for mom, too. Ask her to get Kellogg's Variety Pack. Kellogg's Variety Pack is an assortment of cereals. Ten individual-sized boxes in one handy carton. And each individual box holds exactly one generous serving of a favorite Kellogg cereal. Yes, in Kellogg's Variety, they're all favorite cereals. Kellogg's Corn Flakes, Pep, Rice Krispies, and the new favorite Kellogg's Corn Pops, to mention just four. And each serving stays extra crisp and fresh because it's in its own individual package. So just for fun, make breakfast fun. 
Ask Mom to get Canada's only cereal assortment, Kellogg's Variety Pack. Now, uh, as we begin orientation, please remember our company maintains a no-smoking policy. I'm a smoker. But where I'll be working, smoking just doesn't fit the agenda. And with the amount of time I'll spend on the job, well, it's a good thing I've got Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. That cool, clean taste works every time. Here, let me show you to your office. When I can't smoke, I enjoy pure chewing satisfaction. Now, that's what Wrigley's Spearmint is all about. Presenting Superman. Yeah, I done it. 
But I don't see... You will see, Kino, very shortly indeed. Hey, what are you trying to do? Scare him to death? Listen now to what I tell you. I'm listening. That train will be going over that trestle down there in another seven or eight minutes. So what? At the end of the trestle, as you can see, Kino, the track turns and runs along the cliff on the mountainside. Yeah, I see. The mountains to one side, very steep and abrupt, then the track, then the canyon, 300 feet deep. Hey, listen. You gonna throw him down the canyon? The whole ten cars? As I said before, all you have to do is obey orders. All right. What do I do? You wait till the train has crossed the trestle, then you fire the charge. Right away? Count ten, if you like. All right. And then what? Then events will take their natural course. After which, you will come back and join me in the cabin. Hey, she's coming. And coming fast. Keep moving, my friend. Let her cross the trestle. Then count ten. Ah, good. Still following the railway. Ought to be getting fairly close to Denver. Looks like a long trestle up ahead. I'd get aboard that train if it weren't so slow. I'll drop down a bit and look it over. Might do it anyway. Ride in as Clark Kent. What's that man on the side of the mountain doing? Looks like he's got a charging battery for dynamite blasting. Something queer about that. Seems to be waiting. He's waiting for the train. Gonna blast it right off the tracks. This looks like some of your dirty work, Wolf. Well, here's where Superman takes a hand. I've got to stop that train. I'll get aboard and they'll stop to put me off because I have no ticket. But it's got to be fast. 90 miles an hour. Good speed for a train, but it can't leave Superman behind. Ah, there's the observation platform. And what luck. Nobody on it. Now then. Grab the platform rail. There. Leap on board. Now. Now to join the passengers is Clark Kent, cub reporter for the Daily Planet. Off for the cape, into ordinary clothes, and inside. Please, all tickets. Tickets first the envelope. All tickets, please. Tickets, please. May I have your ticket, please? Oh, I, I'm sorry, conductor, but I have lost it. No, you've lost it. And I'm afraid that I'll have to ask you to pay the fare. Now, you know, I, I'm terribly sorry, but I seem to have lost my money, too. Uh, I thought so. You've been riding the blinds and figured you'd sneak in here where it's warm. Well, we know how to deal with bums like you. Yes, that's right, conductor. Stop the train and put me off. I don't mind. Huh? Say, who are you? Uh, Clark Kent, reporter for the Daily Planet. But that, that's all right. I, I, I ought to be more careful. Teach me a good lesson. Well, I guess I'll take a chance if you're really a reporter. Well, you're liable to write up a story about getting kicked off our train. You can stay where you are. But look here. I'll take I... care of you when we get to town. And if you're not a reporter... Oh, no good, I overplayed it. Great Scott, I've got to do something and quick, too. We're on the trestle. Where's that emergency cord? Hey, hey, what's going on here? Who pulled that cord? I, I did, Conductor. I, I'm terribly sorry. Sorry? Well, you better be sorry. Here, here, come back here. Come I, back here. I can't stay, Conductor. My conscience bothers me. I'll just jump off right where we are on the trestle. You here. come back here. Oh, I, I'll be all right. Don't, don't worry about me. Uh, I got gotcha. you. No, you can't get away this time. Now, you stay right here. I, I want to get well, off. Well, you ain't getting off. You'll go to jail for this. You come back up them steps. Look, up the mountain, Conductor. 
That flash. Hey, what, what the? What the? Wait, what's going on up there? It was a blast. An explosion up the mountain. Great Scott, Conductor, look, look what's coming. Oh, Lord, save us, it's a rock slide. Tons of rock coming down on the track. Listen to it. And right ahead of us, too. Took the tracks out like two pieces of string. Oh, Lord, and now they're all coming out to find out what happened. It's all right. It's all right, ladies and gentlemen, no danger. Just a rock slide up ahead. That's all, there may be a slight delay. Delay? You don't think you can dig through that, do you? Now get back in the train, please, get back. It's dangerous out here. Back on board, please. We may be held up a little while. Back on board, everybody, please. We'll be pulling out directly. Now then, Conductor, I I think you owe me a vote of thanks. Oh, you do, do you? Well, what makes you think that? Well, use your eyes, man. Where would you be now if I hadn't stopped the train? Huh? Well, now, there may be something in what you say. I'm not denying if we'd been going our regular speed, we'd have got that rock slide right about the third car. I'll say you would. You'd have been down in that canyon, too. And it's 300 feet deep. As a matter of fact, that's where you were intended to be. Oh, is it? Well, what makes you think so? Goodbye, Conductor. I'll see you later. Hey, you come back here. Catch that guy. Joe, Mike, don't let him get away from the dog. Where'd he go? Catch him. Catch him. Get a hold of the boy. Twenty tons of rock. Why, that's nothing. Hardly a workout. Anything to put a crimp in the wolf's plans. And Clark Kent, reporter, simply must be in Denver by morning. First of all, down into the canyon for the missing rails. There they are. Now, back to the roadbed. I never swept up a rock slide before, but there's nothing like trying. Here we go. <laughs> Why, it's nothing. I'll have the line clear before that conductor knows I've gone. The Limited will be in Denver in an hour. Well, Kino, all done? What happened? No, nothing happened. Nothing happened? What do you mean? Oh, one of them things, boss. The train stopped on the trestle. Stopped? That train never stops. Well, it stopped this time, and a guy got out, and I didn't know, so I shot the stuff. Yes, yes, I heard it. Well, didn't you come out to look? I thought I'd better stay hidden. Well, there was a rock slide, and that's all. The train wasn't scratched. The line's blocked, but the train ain't hurt. This man who got out, who was he? After the slide, I snuck down and joined the mob, see? I heard him talking about a newspaper guy and looking for him. A name of Clark Kent. Kent? I don't know him. Well, you better, because he knows us. What's that? I don't know. All I can tell you is they're looking for him. Clark Kent, a newspaper man. Who knew enough to stop that train? Well... We shall look for him, too, my friend. Uh, we'll have lots of time. They won't get the line clear this side of Sunday. We shall look for this Mr. Kent, and when we find him... Ah, the train. They've decided to go back to Pueblo. Let's look. Aquino. Aquino, that train. What? It's going west. Why, it can't be. Hey, well, what the... But it is. It's on its way to Denver. Why, it can't be. Why, there was 20 tons of rock on the line. Look for yourself, Kino. It's not possible... It's not human, but look. Well, very well. We go to Denver too, Kino, at once to find out what goes on and to take care of Mr. Kent, the newspaper man. Get the plane ready. Less than 24 hours to solve the plot and save the Silver Clipper. But now the wolf is hard on Clark Kent's trail. 
What happens in Denver when daylight comes, when Clark Kent breaks the story, and when the wolf meets Superman? Tune in and don't miss it. And remember, be with us again for the next thrilling installment of Superman. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Frankie Frog tries to get a special valentine for his pretty kitty. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Valentine's for sale, Valentine's for sale. Got your fresh Valentine's here. Hey, good day, General Grasshopper. Hi, Dippy Boy. Like to buy some Valentine's? Ooh, I might get one for my secretary, Tallulah Tobacco Worm. These are rare imported Valentine's, Short Dwarf. Went all the way to Cocklebur Corners for them. You don't say. Yep. We're made by a chicken named Clementine. Her slogan is, if you want a valentine, come to Clementine. So it did. Well, I'll take this valentine here. Uh, how much, Gerald? Well, that was usually 39 cents. But since you're such a good friend, Dippy... Yes? I'll let you have it for 45. Oh, that's mighty nice of you, Grasshopper. Fine. And if you see Frankie Frog the hotel, send him out, Dippy. You sure will, Grasshopper. I'll wait out here. Uh-oh, there's my secretary. Mm, I'd better hide this valentine under my beard. Mm, there, there. Oh, hello, Tallulah to Tobacco Worm. Hello, Dippy. Did I see you hide something under your beard? Hide under my beard? Well, uh, uh, no, Tallulah. But I'm sure. Oh, I it was thought... only a letter, only a letter. You're acting so strangely, Dwarf. <laughs> oh, it's only because I saw you, tobacco worm. Hmm. Well, I am wearing a new tobacco leaf. It has the new Latakia look. Like it? Oh, very fetching. <laughs> but I've got to find Frankie Frog. Have you seen him? Yes, he just went upstairs to Kitty's room. And I'll call him. Oh, Frankie Frog! Frankie! Frankie Frog! Dip, 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 dip. Do you hear anything, kitty baby? Well, I hear Dippy calling you, Dream Frog. Calling me Dream Frog? I didn't know he cared. <laughs> Silly Frog. Sit here on the bench beside me. Yeah, but your whiskers tickle my ears. Frogs haven't any ears. Yeah, so they haven't. But your whiskers tickle just the same. Well, don't be ridiculous. Sing to me, Frankie. Hmm, don't mind if I do. Put your arms around me, kitty. Hold me tight. Oh. Huddle up and cuddle up with all your might. Oh, oh, when you roll those eyes, eyes that I just idolize. When you look at me, my heart begins to fold. And then it starts to rockin' like a motorboat. Oh, oh, I never knew any cat like you. I really mean it. 
dead like you. When you sing to me, I feel weak in my furry knees. Oh, Peggy Bogues! To tell you at once! Yeah, there's Dippy calling me again. We'll never have a moment of quiet until you see what he wants. Well, I'll be right back, Kittigans. I'm coming, Dippy. Well, hurry, Bogues! Okay, I'll slide in the banisters. Well, here I come. Go, 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 go. Oh, 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 my poor frog back. Oh, oh, hey, what's oh, the matter? Oh, Forget oh, to lower your landing oh, gear? <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. What if I'd sprained my sacrosiliac or something? Oh, never mind what might have been, frog. Think of day after tomorrow. Yeah, day after tomorrow? That, that's Monday. That's not all. It's St. Valentine's Day. You don't say. Yes. Do you have a valentine for Kitty? Yeah, not yet. Well, then, this is your big opportunity, Frog. Hop right outside. Oh, uh, why? You'll see. Valentine's for sale. Oh, hi, Frankie boy. Hi, you gentle grasshopper. Oh, so this is what Dippy Dwarf meant. See, that's a fancy valentine over there, Gerald. That's a dandy, Frog. Daddy Frog. <laughs> that valentine is sort of accommodation. Yeah, just what do you mean? Well, it's one that I worked out in collaboration with Strauss the Mouse. Yeah, but he writes music. Open up the valentine, you'll see what I mean. Yeah, okay. Hey, there's a blank music sheet in here. The lines, but no music. Well, that's where Strauss comes in. You'll buy the valentine, take it over to the Mouse's music studio, he'll compose a song for your sweetheart. For a small cost, of course. Oh, of course. Like it? Yeah, I think it's nifty. Uh, how much is it? Three dollars. Yeah, uh, three dollars. And cheap at the price, boy. Look at those feather-painted cupids. Feather-painted? Yep. Clementine chicken painted them with a very old feathers. Note the quality of the paper lace. Fine. I just have to have to have to have that valentine. Yours for three dollars. Oh, gee, where can I get three dollars? Well, I'll be around if you can scrape that about together, Frog. <laughs> Oh, pardon me. I see a potential customer across the way. Fresh valentine for you, Partridge. Gee, $3. I can't borrow from Dippy. Already owing two months room rent. Hey, I bet Susie Skunk would let me have the money. I'll just hop over to her place, the old Badger residence. residence. Certainly hope Susie will lend me three dollars. That valentine is a dream. Kitty will sure love it. If you're working your way through music school by selling tuning forks, I don't... Oh, hello, Frankie Frog. Uh, hiya, Susie Skunk. Do come in. My doormat usually says welcome, but my last guest evidently had muddy feet. Uh, Susie, I've come to you on a matter of gravest importance. Well, can't wait just a moment, Frankie. One of my favorite radio programs is on now. Uh, Sadie Snake, Girl Reptile? No, not now. I'm listening to Oleander Salamander, Crawling Poet and Philosopher. Come on over by the radio, Frankie. Quiet now. The salamander's getting ready to be poetic. Hello, friends and admirers. I'm now going to recite my newest six-line quatrain. Poem. A lovely Queen Anne's lace Growing wild most any place Your delicate umbrella's white 
are to me shades of delight. Oh, petals fine, oh, blossoms divine, oh, stems. And now, until next time, this is your crawling poet and philosopher, Oleander Salamander, saying, remember, music, Ethelbert. Hey, Susie, I'll come right out and tell you what I need. Three dollars. Three dollars? Gracious, what are you going to do, Frankie? Buy a platinum mustache cup? Hey, nope. I want to buy a valentine for Kitty. Why is it so expensive? Well, you see, it's a very unusual valentine. With a place inside for an original song by Strauss the Mouse. Oh, how romantic. <laughs> uh, did you have three dollars I could borrow? Well, let me look in my purse, Frankie. Where did I put it? Uh, under the scatter rug, perhaps? No, not this time. Oh, I remember. I put it in with the fruitcake. Your purse in with a fruitcake? Uh-huh. Someone said it looked out of date. Oh, here it is. Uh, Three dollars, please. Uh, let me see. My antique celluloid brood, a jar of prickly pear pickles, some dental floss, a toothpick, a toothbrush. Uh, no toothpaste? Oh, yes, here's a tube. Oh, it's all squashed. Some salad forks, a raw potato, a bandsaw. A bandsaw? For very small bands. A reversible waffle. Well, I'm sorry, Frankie, but I don't see any money. Gee, Goggins. Oh, well, thanks just the same, Susie. I'll show you to the door. It was nice of you to offer your money, Sue. Even if you... Hey, there's a car coming up. <laughs> Susie. Hi, Bob. Hiya, Woodchuck. Where are you going? Well, I'm taking my sweetie for a ride down by the brook. Oh, boy. Then you can drop me off at the mouse's music studio. Fine. I'm always glad to drop off a frog anywhere. I'm Nettie in my bonnet and fascinated them, Clucky. Oh, good. And then you can come, Susie Skunk, in my old pile of junk, and away we'll go. Away we'll go. <laughs> are you in, sweetie? Yes, thank you, Chucky, dear. Yeah, yeah, I'm in, too. Well, please tell me where you want to stop, Frog. I certainly don't want to forget to put you out. Uh, you can stop here with Chuck. Mm, very well. Whoa, little old car. Whoa, doggone it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll hop out. Uh, thanks a lot, Chuck. Goodbye, Sue. Goodbye, Frankie. Yeah, the music studio of Stouse the Mouse. Yeah. Hey, come on, Mouse. Open up the door. Hey, greetings, Frog. Uh, hiya, Strauss the Mouse. Busy? Hmm? Are you? Hmm? Hmm? Are you? Uh, hmm? Never too busy to greet a musically inclined frog. Won't you step into me studio, the music? Yeah, thanks. Likewise. Uh, Strauss, I want an original song to put in the valentine. Frog, I got just a song. They ain't even dry on the manuscript yet. Yeah, how does it go? Try on these lyricals for size, Frankie. Okay. <clears throat> Boy, I'm in good voice today. Yeah. I'll see if my grandbaby piano's in tune. <laughs> Perfect. 
now, Frog. This can't be love because I feel so well. No sobs, no sorrows, no sighs. This can't be love because I feel so well. But still, I love to look in your, love to look in your, love to look in your eyes. Hey, Mouse, it's perfect. I'll take this song. Kitty baby, what are you doing here? I came here to get a song composed for a valentine for you, Frankie. But, but I came here to get one for yours, Kitty. Well, I kept quiet just as long as I could. He promised me that song you just sang, and then he said you could have it. Well, Kitty, I, I didn't know. That mouse knows. Where is he? Please, Kitty, don't be mad. I didn't mean no harm. Honest to my sight. Where's that music? Uh, you mean this song? Yes, I'll fix it. Hey, hey, Kitty, you're tearing up the mouse's song. Hey, hey, Kitty, me new hit song. You're lucky I'm not tearing you up, Mouse. Come on, Frog, we're leaving. We are? Now, Green Frog. Oh, Kitty, I'm sorry. This means neither one of us will get a musical valentine. What do I care about musical valentines when I have you, Frog? Uh, Do you mean it, Kitty? Of course. We can make beautiful music together. (laughs) Oh, gee willikers, Kitty. I'm glad you're not mad. Mm, Sit here with me, Frankie. And we'll forget about everyone else. <laughs> Just the two of us, all alone. I beg your pardon, Timothy, Timothy Turtle. Kind of turtles sleep anywhere without being used for a sight. And just when we wanted to be alone. Well, don't you two know that you can never be alone as long as your sweetheart? How's that, Tim? No matter where you two go, Cupid will always be alone. <laughs> <laughs> Love comes to Wormwood Forest in time for St. Valentine's Day, but we'll bet there'll be more comic valentines than any other kind for our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Oh, don't talk by Chucky. What is it, sweetie? Next week, Barbecue Pig is going to the ballet with Swimmicue Fox. My, how nice. Will you take me to the ballet? Yes, if you really want to go, but it's for me. I, I just don't care for the ballet. You don't? No. I think it's ridiculous. Ha! A fish toe dancing. Ha! What's ridiculous about a fish toe dancing? Fish don't have any toes. <laughs> Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This presentation is a part of Audio Adventure Theater. CTD Productions presents to you Winnie the Pooh, based on the books by A.A. Milne, starring Philip Thiessen as Winnie the Pooh and Ray Thiessen as the narrator. Episode number six, Kanga and Baby Roo.
Nobody seemed to know where they came from, but there they were in the forest, Kanga and Baby Roo. How did they come here? In the usual way, if you know what I mean, Pooh. Oh, in the usual way, ah. Then Pooh went to call upon his friend Piglet to see what he thought about it, and at Piglet's house he found Rabbit, so they all talked about it together. What I don't like about it is this. Here are we, you, Pooh, and you, Piglet, and me, and suddenly... And Eeyore. And Eeyore. And then suddenly... And Owl. And Owl. And then all of a sudden... Oh, and Eeyore. I was forgetting him. Here we are, all of us. And then suddenly, we wake up one morning, and what do we find? We find a strange animal among us. An animal of whom we have never even heard before. An animal who carries her family about with her in her pocket. Suppose I carried my family about with me in my pocket. How many pockets should I want? Sixteen. Seventeen, isn't it? And one more for a handkerchief. That's eighteen. Eighteen pockets in one suit. I haven't time. I make it fifteen. What? Fifteen. Fifteen what? Your family. What about them? I thought you had been talking about your family. Did I? Yes, you said... Never mind, Pooh. The question is, what are we to do about Kanga? Oh, I see. The best way would be this. The best way would be to steal Baby Roo and hide him. And then when Kanga says, where's Baby Roo? We say, aha! 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 Of course, we could say, aha! Even if we hadn't stolen Baby Roo. Pooh, you haven't any brain. I know. We say aha so that Kanga knows that we know where Baby Roo is. Aha means we'll tell you where Baby Roo is if you promise to go away from the forest and never come back. Now don't talk while I think. Aha! 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 Uh-huh. 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 I suppose it's just practice. I wonder if Kanga will have to practice too so as to understand it. There's just one thing. I was talking to Christopher Robin, and he said that a Kanga was generally regarded as one of the fiercer animals. I am not frightened of fierce animals in the ordinary way, but it is well known that if one of the fiercer animals is deprived of its young, it becomes as fierce as two of the fiercer animals. In which case, aha, is perhaps a foolish thing to say. Piglet, you haven't any pluck. It is hard to be brave when you're only a very small animal. It is because you are a very small animal that you will be useful in the adventure before us. Oh, really? Besides, Piglet... Kangas are only fierce during the winter months. What about me? I suppose I shan't be useful? Never mind, Pooh. Another time, perhaps. Without Pooh, the adventure would be impossible. Oh. Impossible without me. That sort of bear. Now listen, all of you. Here is what I've written down. Plan to capture Baby Roo. One, General Marks. Kanga runs faster than any of us, even me. Two, more general remarks. 
Kinga never takes her eye off Baby Roo, except when he is buttoned up in her pocket. 3. Therefore, if we are to capture Baby Roo, we must get a long start, because Kinga runs faster than any of us, even me. See 1. 4. A thought. If Roo had jumped out of Kinga's pocket, and Piglet had jumped in, Kanga wouldn't know the difference, because Piglet is a very small animal. 5. Like Roo. 6. But Kanga would have to be looking the other way first, so as not to see Piglet jumping in. 7. C2. 8. Another thought. But if Pooh was talking to her very excitedly, she might look the other way for a moment. 9. And then I could run away with Roo. 10. Quickly. 11. And Kanga wouldn't discover the difference until afterwards. And afterwards? How do you mean? When Kanga does discover the difference. Then we all say, aha. All three of us? Yes. Oh. Why? What's the trouble, Piglet? Nothing, as long as we all three say it. As long as we all three say it, I don't mind. But I shouldn't care to say, aha, by myself. It wouldn't sound nearly so well. By the way, you are quite sure about what you said about the winter months. The winter months? Yes, only being fierce in the winter months. Oh, yes, yes. That's all right. Well, Pooh, you see what you have to do? No, not yet. What do I do? Well, you just have to talk very hard to Kanga so as she doesn't notice anything. Oh, what about? Anything you like. You mean like telling her a little bit of poetry or something? That's it. Splendid. Now come along. Just one more jump, dear, and then we must go home. Good afternoon, Kanga. Good afternoon, Pooh. Look at me. Jumping. Hello, Roo, my little fellow. We were just going home. Good afternoon, Rabbit. Good afternoon, Piglet. Good afternoon. Hello, Rao. Look at me jumping. <coughs> oh, Kanga, I don't know if you are interested in poetry at all. Hardly at all. Oh. Ryu, dear, just one more jump and then we must go home. Okay, Mom. Go on. Talking of poetry, I made up a little piece as I was coming along. It went like this. Er, now let me see. Fancy. Now, Rue, dear. You like this piece of poetry? You'll love it. You must listen very carefully. So as not to miss any of it. Oh, yes? How did it go, Pooh? <clears throat> Lines written by a bear of very little brain. On Monday, when the sun is hot, I wonder to myself a lot. Now is it true or is it not, that what is which and which is what? On Tuesday, when it hails and snows, the feeling on me grows and grows that hardly anybody knows if those are these or these are those. On Wednesday, when the sky is blue and I have nothing else to do, I sometimes wonder if it's true that who is what and what is who. On Thursday, when it starts to freeze and hoarfrost twinkles in the trees, how very readily one sees that these are whose, but whose are these? On Friday... Yes, it is, isn't it? Just one more jump, Roo, dear, and then we really must be going. 
Pooh, talking of poetry, have you ever noticed that tree right over there? Where? Nauru? Right over there, behind you. No. Now jump in, Rue, dear, and we'll go home. You'll have to look at that tree right over there. Shall I lift you in, Rue? Thanks, Rabbit. I can see a bird in it from here. Or is it a fish? You ought to see that bird from here. Unless it's a fish. It isn't a fish, it's a bird. So it is. Is it a starling or a blackbird? That's the whole question. Is it a blackbird or a starling? And then at last, Kanga did turn her head to look. And the moment that her head was turned... In you go, Rue! And in jumped Piglet into Kanga's pocket. And off scampered Rabbit with Rue in his paws as fast as he could. Why, where's Rabbit? Are you all right, Rue dear? <laughs> Rabbit had to go away. I think he thought of something he had to go and see about suddenly. And Piglet? I think Piglet thought of something at the same time. Suddenly. Well, we must be getting home. Goodbye, Pooh. I wish I could jump like that. Some can and some can't. That's how it is. If this is fun, I, I said them a really take to it. Rabbit was playing with Baby Roo in his own house and feeling more fond of him every minute. And Pooh, who had decided to be a Kanga, was staying at the sandy place on the top of the forest, practicing jumps. And then Kanga arrived at her house. Of course, as soon as she unbuttoned her pocket, she saw what had happened. Just for a moment, she thought she was frightened. And then she knew she wasn't, for she felt quite sure that Christopher Robin would never let any harm happen to Rue. If they are having a joke with me, I will have a joke with them. Now then, Rue dear, bedtime. Aha! Bath first. Aha! I am not at all sure that it wouldn't be a good idea to have a cold bath this evening. <laughs> would you like that, Rue dear? Kanga! I see the time has come to speak plainly. Funny little Rue. I'm not Rue, I'm Piglet. Yes, dear, yes. And imitating Piglet's voice, too. So clever of him. What will he be doing next? Can't you see? Haven't you got any eyes? Look at me! I am looking, Rue, dear. And you know what I told you yesterday about making faces. If you go on making faces like piglets, you will grow up to look like piglet. And then think how sorry you will be. Now then, into the bath. And don't let me have to speak to you about it again. Ah! Ah, let me out! I'm piglet! Don't open the mouth, dear. Or the soap goes in. But oh! There, what did I tell you? <coughs> you, you did it on purpose! <coughs> That's right, dear. Don't say anything. So Kanga continued scrubbing Piglet firmly with a large lathery flannel for several minutes. And then... There, all done. Out you come. Oh! Now I'll dry you off. <laughs> now there's your medicine and then bed. 
Well, well, what medicine? To make you go big and strong, dear. You don't want to grow up small and weak like Piglet, do you? Well, then. Come in. Christopher Robin! Christopher Robin! Tell Kanga who I am! She keeps saying I'm rude! I'm not rude, am I? You can't be rude, because I've just seen Rue playing in Rabbit's house. Well, fancy that. Fancy my making a mistake like that. There you are! I told you so! I'm Piglet! Oh, you're not Piglet. I know Piglet well, and he's quite a different color. That's because I just had a bath! I knew it wasn't Piglet. I wonder who it can be. Perhaps it's some relation of Pooh's. What about a nephew or an uncle or something? Yes, that's probably what it is, but we'll have to call it by some name. I shall call it Pootle. Henry Pootle for short. And just when it was decided, Henry Pootle wriggled hey, out of Kanga's yeah. arms and jumped to the ground. To his great joy, Christopher Robin had left the door open. Never had Henry Poodle Piglet run so fast as he ran then, and he didn't stop running until he had got quite close to his house. But when he was a hundred yards away, he stopped running and rolled the rest of the way home so as to get his own nice, comfortable color again. Ah, uh, that's better. So Kanga and Rue stayed in the forest. And every Tuesday, Rue spent the day with his great friend Rabbit, and every Tuesday, Kanga spent the day with her great friend Pooh, teaching him to jump. And every Tuesday, Piglet spent the day with his great friend, Christopher Robin. So they were all happy again. In Kanga and Baby Roo by A.A. A. Milne, dramatized for audio by Caleb Thiessen, you heard Philip Thiessen as Winnie the Pooh, Ray Thiessen as the narrator, Aaron Thiessen as Christopher Robin, Reed Thiessen as Piglet, Chad Cardine as Rabbit, Daniel Goodman as Baby Roo, and Renee Thiessen as Kanga. The audio adventure theater theme was composed by Garrett Vandenberg. The program was produced by Caleb Thiessen. Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne is brought to you by CTD Productions. Be sure to check out our website at audioadventuretheater.blogspot.com. There's a big, bold flavor to the West. A heritage built by strong men with a zest for life and a taste for adventure. That's the West. Big, bold, untamed. That's the taste of Big Red chewing gum. Big, bold, untamed. Big Red, the gum with the tall taste that refreshes in a different way that makes your mouth come alive. Big Red. Chew the gum called Big Red with a bold, clean bite. And a big, strong flavor that's bound to hit you right. Big Red. Chew the gum called Big Red that's apart from the rest that captures the spirit 
of the big wild west. Big Red. Make Big Red your brand. Makers of Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice, the two tempting, delicious, nourishing cereals that are shot from guns, now bring you another thrilling Dick Tracy detective adventure. Big guns, hear them? For the next time you have a big dish of crisp, nourishing Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice for breakfast, remember the sound of the big guns, because those two delicious cereals are actually shot from guns. Sun-ripened grains of nourishing wheat and rice are loaded into the guns, and then these little kernels of grain are exploded to eight times their normal size. That makes them look different and taste better than ordinary cereals. That special Quaker process makes puffed wheat and puffed rice specially easy to digest so that you get trigger-fast food energy more quickly and easily. And you need lots of quick food energy if you want to be as fast on your feet as your friend Dick Tracy is. And here's a good idea. Puffed wheat and puffed rice are two different delicious flavors. So ask Mother to get a package of each at the grocer's. And then you and Mother and Dad can have Quaker puffed wheat for breakfast one morning and Quaker puffed rice the next. That really gives you variety, doesn't it? So look in the pantry today to see if one of those famous red and blue packages is there now. If it's Quaker puffed wheat, ask Mother to get a package of Quaker puffed rice. And if it's Quaker puffed rice, ask her to get some Quaker puffed wheat. And then you have both for a delightful change that thousands of wide-awake boys, girls, and grown-ups enjoy every day. And remember, fellows and girls, there's another secret code message at the end of the program today. So be sure you have your pencil, paper, and code book ready. Dick Tracy has been trying to protect Dryden Small, a well-known Egyptologist from dark forces which seek his death. Small has received strange warnings, and several times his life has been attempted unsuccessfully due to the daring efforts of Dick Tracy. Both Dick and Pat are convinced that Small has kept from them the real reason for these mysterious attacks. In our last episode, we heard how a strange message, seemingly written by an invisible hand, had appeared on the wall above Small's bed. Let's see what the invisible hand is writing. Your hour's at hand. Your end is near. The black pearl of Osiris must shine again. Yes, yes, and look there on the floor. It's another scarab, Tracy, another scarab. Yes, so I see, another symbol of death and destruction. Why don't you do something? But it's no use. You can't fight the supernatural. They told me there was a curse upon the tomb of Tutankhamun. I should never have gone into it. All the others who have been in it have come to sudden death. Oh, stop it, stop it, Small. There's nothing supernatural here. I know, but, Dick, the writing on the wall, we saw the message being written. Yes, sir. And now, look, it's beginning to fade. Ghost writing, that's what it is. The handwriting of a ghost. Oh, come, come, Small. Pull yourself together. This isn't the work of a ghost. The man with the yellow face, whoever he may be, paid a visit to this cabin in our absence. How do you know he was here? Why, it's simple enough. The scarab on the floor, he left it there. The handwriting on the wall, he put it there. No, no, no. He might have put the scarab there, but the handwriting, that couldn't have been done by anybody human. We saw the message being written, and there was no one here. Of course there wasn't. 
The message was written before we got here. We saw it when we turned on the bed lamp. I don't get it, Dick. Pat, put your hand over that lamp. About six inches away. All right. I've got it there now. What do you feel? Mm, nothing but heat. Ah, precisely. Heat. The heat from the lamp. Do you recall ever having used heat in connection with invisible messages before, Pat? Oh, why, sure. Say, I get it. This message was written in invisible ink and couldn't be seen until the heat of the lamp brought it out on the wall. Go to the head of the class, Pat. That's exactly what happened here. The man with a yellow face wrote his message in invisible ink. Small came in, turned on the lamp, and in half an hour or so, the heat from the lamp brought the message out. There's your supernatural for you, Mr. Small. You, you make it sound simple. It is simple. The rest of this case were as simple as that handwriting. We'd have no problem, but... But it's not simple, Small, because you choose to make it difficult. I choose to make it difficult? Yes. You refuse to tell us all you know about this. You refuse to tell us what we've got to know if we're to protect you against the man with the yellow face. There's a definite reason why you're being followed. There's a definite reason for these attempts on your life, such as the one in the dining salon tonight. There's some reason for these scarabs and that message on the wall. Now, what is it? I'm sorry, but I don't know any more than I've told you. And I've told you once, and I'll tell you again, that you're not being entirely truthful. Now, look here. I want you to tell me the meaning of that message about the Black Pearl of Osiris. Yeah, that was a queer one. What is the Black Pearl of Osiris anyway, Dick? I don't know about the Black Pearl, Pat. I do know, however, that Osiris was a god worshipped by the ancient Egyptians. And that even today, there are certain secret societies which still worship him. Hmm. Your knowledge of Egyptian history is remarkable, Tracy. Well, unfortunately, I don't know quite enough. But you know what I want to know, Small. What is the Black Pearl of Osiris? I demand an answer. I, I don't know, Tracy. I swear it. If I knew, don't you think I'd tell you? I, I, I feel rather faint. I, I wonder if one of you would mind going up on deck with me. Just for a little while. Well, uh, I, I had a date with a... All right, Pat, you'll have to forget your date. I've got to see the captain at once. You'll have to stay with Small. Keep close to him on deck and don't let him out of your sight. Okay. I hope I get a chance to explain to that girl that I didn't mean to disappoint her. You feel better now, Small? Yes. Yes, Mr. Patton, the air is doing me good. Looks like we're going to have a fog. You can see wisps of it floating past the binnacle light up there. Yes. You know, Small, you really ought to come clean with Tracy. Patton. Yeah? That, that man leaning against the rail. He, he just looked this way, and his face... Well, what about his face? I, I'm not sure, but it, it looked yellow. It, it, it... Now, take it easy. Don't start getting jittery. Don't begin seeing a yellow face in every passenger on this ship. Look, look. He's moving away from the rail. He's disappearing into the fog. What was that? Something dropped at our feet. Yeah, I heard it. Let me see. Hey, hey here it is. What? Why, say, it looks it looks like a scarab. A scarab? A pattern. It, it's another warning. That was the man with the yellow face. Yeah, yeah, we'd better get down and get to your cabin. I'll get in touch with Tracy. No, 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 no. Not back to the cabin. I'm afraid to go there. Let's stay in the open. Okay, okay, but I better get Tracy here as quick as I can. Come on over by the light. What are you going to do? Well, Dick's in the captain's cabin. I'm going to send him a message. A message in code. Well, come in, Mr. Tracy. Glad to see you. 
How are you, Captain? Mm, worried, Tracy. Very much worried. I'm glad you're here. I don't like the things that have been happening on this ship of mine. Well, I'm sorry about the need for searching the ship, but you must understand, Captain, that at any moment, one of your passengers may be, well, put out of the way. Mm, that isn't what I referred to, Tracy. There are other things that are wrong. Such as? Well, have you heard about what's been going on down in the hold? The hold? Mm-hmm. I know. What's happened down there? One of the crew, a fellow named Weeks, was found about an hour ago, totally unconscious. Unconscious? Yes, lying in the door of the storage room. He's not a strong fellow. As a matter of fact, he has a weak heart. That's why we have him down there. All he does is check the books and little odd jobs like that, you know. Yes, yes, but what made him unconscious? Well, according to his story, Tracy, as he was approaching the storage room, he noticed the door was open, which was unusual. As he began to investigate, he suddenly saw, standing in the doorway itself, a strange-looking figure. The next thing he remembers, he was lying on a cot. And the ship's doctor was working over him. Huh. He's not given to seeing things, is he? No, I don't think so. He's a stable, dependable fellow. At any rate, he's never seen things before. Well, in that case, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to investigate that storage room. Now, about the search for the man with the yellow face, Captain. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about that, Tracy. We, we don't seem to be making much progress. Matter of fact, Tracy, we're not making any progress at all. Yes, yes, I was afraid of that. Oh, excuse me. Come in. There's a message for Mr. Tracy, sir. Oh, give it here. Where did you get this? It was given to me by a gentleman down in Deck A, sir. Thank you. Excuse me, Captain. Yes, certainly. It's a code message from Pat. Hmm? Prisoner 20, 21, 12, 16, 7, 10, 18, 22. Uh, will you excuse me, Captain? I've got to join Mr. Patton on deck immediately. Uh, nothing wrong, is there, Tracy? I don't know. That's what I want to find out. And I've got to find out fast. Well, I'll go along with you, Tracy. I've got to go up to the bridge, and this will be on my way. Glad to have your company, Captain, but let's hurry. Uh, we can take this companionway here, Tracy. It leads down to deck A. Fine. Deck A. I don't see Mr. Patton, do you? No, but this fog is getting thicker. Mm -hmm. He may be down at the other end. Come on. Well, I'll leave you here, Tracy. Man overboard! Man overboard! Man overboard, Tracy. Get down there as fast as you can. I'll see to ordering the boats over the side. Right. Man overboard! Man overboard! Hey, hey, you there. Where is he? Oh, he's there. He's there. Man overboard! Man overboard! Man overboard! Oh, small. What's happened here? The man with the yellow face. Patton's horse with him. Yes, yes, what happened? Overboard. Patton, uh, Patton was thrown overboard. What? Pat overboard? Wait, Tracy, what are you doing? Why are you taking off your coat? Why do you think? I'm going after Pat. Stop, don't. Another man overboard. Another man. Another... Mm, Tracy, they'll both be found. Patton and Tracy, too. Will Dick save Pat? Or has the detective's friend been swallowed up by the black waters in the night? Dick will save him if anyone can. But now the makers of Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, those two popular, delicious, quick-energy-giving cereals that are shot from guns, invite you to attend another meeting of the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol. Here comes Dick Tracy Jr. now. The 20th meeting will now come to order, patrol members. And let's be sure we all have pencils and paper ready to take down today's secret code message. Are you going to give Dick Tracy's friends the message that Pat sent Dick today, or have you a special secret patrol message, Junior? Oh, both, Mr. Quaker Man. First, I'm going to repeat the message that Pat sent to Dick Tracy. Good. Are you ready, patrol members? Here it is. Prisoner 20, 21, 12, 16. 
Seven, ten, eighteen, twenty, two. Once more, Junior, to make sure everyone got it. All right, Mr. Quaker man. It's prisoner. Twenty, twenty-one, twelve, sixteen. Seven, ten, eighteen, twenty, two. Fine. And now what's the special patrol message, Junior? Here it is. Are you all ready? It's Buffalo. Twenty-one, twelve, fourteen, ten, twelve, four. Ten, twenty, thirteen, three, six, ten, twenty, thirteen, three, twenty-one. One, eight, fourteen, five. Better repeat that one, too, Junior, I think. Okay. Ready, everyone? It's Buffalo. 21, 12, 14, 10, 12, 4. 10, 20, 13, 3. 6, 10, 20, 13, 3, 21. 1, Eight, fourteen, five. Well, that sounds very important, Junior. It is. It's a special order for patrol members. But how about the fellows and girls who aren't members and can't decode the messages? Well, we can't very well give away the patrol secret. Of course not. I can't imagine any real wide-awake boy or girl not joining, can you? Not unless they don't know how to join on the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol. So maybe you better tell them, just in case there are some fellows and girls listening in for the first time. Good idea. Well, here's how you can join the patrol and get the secret code, the patrol pledge, and the membership badge so you don't miss any of the fun. Just tear the tops off two packages of Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice or one of each. Put them in an envelope with your name and address printed on a plain piece of paper and mail them to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Then you get in on all the secret detective activities, too. And Dick Tracy sends you a secret code book, a patrol pledge, and a special badge, all free. Tell Mother how those nourishing, delicious cereals are shot from guns to make them specially easy to digest. So ask her to get you some Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's. Calling all adventure fans. Calling all Dick Tracy fans. Stand by for another exciting Dick Tracy adventure tomorrow at this same time. That is all. Nothing refreshes like A&W Root Beer. So good. Just right.
after midnight. Brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, at the same time, by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. Say, fellas and girls, I've just had the biggest thrill of the season. I've just seen the new burnished bronze medal of membership of Captain Midnight's new 1940 flight patrol. That marvelous medal of membership that I've been telling you about with the thrilling three-blade spinning propeller and the mysterious new secret password. And not only that, but I actually have one of them here in my hand right now. And is it a beauty? Boy, it's still hot almost. It's one of the very first ones finished. I guess I know now what a marvelous thrill you're going to get the first time you see your very own spinning propeller medal of membership. And believe me, you'll get a kick out of owning it and showing it to all your friends. Oh, but say, I want to show you just how this spinning propeller works. Now, I'm going to spin it for you now, right here on the table. Now, listen. There. You hear that? Now, let's see where it stops. Uh-oh, it's pointing straight at me. That means I'm it. Well, <laughs> better luck next time. Say, can't you just imagine the fun you can have with a swell spinning medal? You can play all kinds of swell games with it. You can spin it to decide who's the winner or the loser, and dozens of other things. But, of course, the important thing is that this medal of membership entitles you to take part in a thrilling adventure that's ahead for every member of Captain Midnight's 1940 flight patrol. It proves you're a member. And besides, it entitles you to all the other free prizes that are coming. So listen, you better have mother or dad drive you over to your Skelly service station tonight. Get your junior pilot's application card right away and have your Skelly man send right in for your spinning propeller medal of membership. Remember, it doesn't cost you a single penny. Just tell your Skelly man you want to join the new 1940 flight patrol and he'll do the rest. And now to Captain Midnight. Ivan Shark's henchmen have surrounded the lonely cabin where Ma and Patsy Donovan, together with the faithful Slim Cool and Pinky Drake, are waiting for the return of Captain Midnight and Chuck Ramsey. Captain Midnight and Chuck, together with Senor Juan Pereira, escaped from pursuit by one of Shark's planes and landed back in the mountains on the dried bed of a lake. Here, Senor Pereira hopes to round up some of his ranchmen. No sooner had Captain Midnight made a safe landing, however, than the ground proved to be nothing more than a thin crust through which the landing wheels quickly settled into the muck beneath, flapping the plane. Listen as Chuck cries. The wheels are down to the hubs, Red. Oh, now we'll never fly this ship out of here. Yes, it does look bad, Chuck. It is indeed the unfortunate situation. It is I who have caused it. Oh, no, Senor Pereira, that can't be so. But it is so, El Capitan. It is I who am to blame. My evil star will lead you to no good. Oh, come, Senor. Your terrible experiences have deprived you of all hope. You have said the very true words, El Capitan. There is no hope for me. My daughter is gone. My cattle and lands have been taken away. Leave me, senor, before you lose your lives in attempt to save mine. Such a course would be unthinkable, senor. Chuck and I are here to help you, and we'll do so even if... But let's eliminate every consideration of such a nature. We can't lose unless we lose faith in ourselves and in our cause. Ah, senor, the words that come from your lips give me new courage. I will fight this man who has almost destroyed me. That's the stuff, senor Pereira. We'll lick Ivan Shark yet. Ivan Shark, did you say? Who is he? I will explain, senor. The man who calls himself Douglas Chadwick is an international criminal. His name is really Ivan Shark. So, he is the criminal international. It is hard to believe. Yes, I know it is, senor. But those are the facts. Well, now, come on, let's go. The first thing is, can we pull this ship out? It is hopeless, senor. The airplane is so heavy and sea that more below the crust, it is like quicksand. Yes. Gosh, Red, it sure looks bad. It's settling deeper, little by little. Pretty soon it'll be down over the wheels and resting on the bottom of the fuselage. Swing the pop up a little, Chuck, before the tip gets in that mud there. Okay. 
You will not be able to fly the airplane. Is that not so? I'm afraid we're going to have a hard time getting the ship into the air, senor. At least not without some help. Could we get the ship off at all, Red? Well, that's something we'd have to determine, Chuck. If we could pull this plane out of the mud, I might be able to take the ship off. Unless this crust gets thinner out toward the middle. But first, how can we pull the plane out? If we can find my men, senor, they will help you. There's an idea, Red. How soon will you know whether your men are around here or not, senor? If they are here, El Capitan, they will gather late in the night. Hmm, very well. Now, here's what we'll do, Chuck. It's now about the middle of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. 3.30 to be exact. Mm-hmm. We'll go over to Senor Paredes' hunting lodge. Then tonight, after darkness sets in, we'll make our way down to the cabin where the others are waiting for us. See, Senor, that will be quite possible. You will go up over the mountain to the west and then down the canyon on the other side. As long as you keep in the canyon, you cannot lose the way because the canyon takes you to the cabin. Couldn't we start right away? No, no. That is not the wise thing to do. This Chartwick, Ivan Chart, you call him, he's manner down that way. In the blackness of the night, you will have the better chance. Gosh, I guess that would be better. And anyway, I could use a little shut-eye. Yes, I'll say you can. Your eyes are bloodshot from lack of sleep. So are yours, Red. I guess a little rest would do all of us a lot of good. Don't you think so, Senor Pareda? See, si, see. Si. I have not closed the eye for many days, and perhaps you have not also. Come then, Senor. We will go to my haunting lodge in the woods. There we will find a comfortable box. After we have rested, you shall go to your friend, and I shall wait for my men. All right. Come on, Chuck. Let's go. Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Come on, come on, Chuck. Wake up. Oh, gee, Red. Let me sleep. Come on, come on. Snap out of it, Chuck. Come on, we've got to get up. Uh, what? Red? Where are you? I'm right here, Chuck. Come on, wake up, fella. Oh, gee, Red. Where are we? In Senor Parada's hunting lodge, Chuck. It's time for us to go down and see how Ma and Patsy and Slim and Pinky are getting along. Oh, gosh. Oh, I remember now. For a second, I couldn't think what happened or where I was. Yes, I know, Chuck. I'm sorry to wake you because you need sleep badly. Yeah, you need it just as bad as I do. Gee, Red, listen. What's that noise? It's the wind and the trees outside, Chuck. Gosh, I guess that must have come up since I went to sleep. Yes, it just rose about a half an hour ago. I've been lying here listening to it, thinking things over. <laughs> Listen, Senor Parada's still asleep. Yes, poor fellow's absolutely exhausted. And we'll keep quiet then so as not to disturb him. But gee, Red, what about after we leave? Well, if any of his men come down here, he'll be safe enough with them. And I don't believe any of Shark's cutthroats know about this place. Gee, if he can sleep all night, he would make a new man of him. Well, maybe he'll have that chance. Well... I'm all ready now. Shall we start? Oh, just a second, Chuck. Wait a minute. Let me look here. Here, Red. Hmm? Look at my wristwatch. It has a luminous dial. Oh, yes. Let's see. 7.30. How long do you think it'll take us to get down to that cabin? Well, Senor Paredes said it was about seven or eight miles. Yeah. If it's real rough going, it'll take us about four or five hours. No, no, no. It won't take us that long, Chuck, because I talked to Senor Paredes a little while after you went to sleep. There's an old mountain trail leading down through that canyon. But we'll get started in a few minutes and take our time. If any of Shark's men should be prowling around, they may relax their vigilance by that time of night. Okay. I sure hope nothing's happened to Ma and Patsy and Slim and Pinky. I've got a lot of confidence in Pinky and Slim. So have I, Red. But they might not be able to hold off a whole gang. Yes, yes, I know that, Chuck. We just have to pray for the best. There's just one thing, Red, that's in our favor. What's that, Chuck? Major Steele and Bud Conley. They should be starting back to help us by early in the morning. I know, Chuck. I was thinking about them a little while ago. Uh, But we can't put all our eggs in one basket. Gosh, what do you mean? I mean just this. We've got to know what we're going to do in case Major Steele and Conley don't come back. Don't come back? They wouldn't let us down. No, no, of course they wouldn't. But suppose they don't get to the border. Oh, they'll get there all right. I'm not so sure. Don't forget the gasoline that's in the Spartans' tanks. Sure, I remember. The engine didn't rev up the way it should. The temperature was getting a little high. But we were still getting by. Yeah, sure. We were getting by for the time being. But what about the tough grind of a long cross-country trip? You said that it was overheating. But you know as well as I do what happens when the motor gets too hot. Gosh, that's right. It might be all right for a little while, but something's going to happen if it stays that way too long. Major Steele is a wonderful pilot. And he'll baby that engine along as much as he can. 
But after all, Chuck, there's not an awful lot you can do when you've got the wrong kind of gas in your tanks. I guess I don't quite get it, Red. Why should that gas work all right in the engine of the black plane and not in our Spartan? Well, it's very simple, Chuck. Now, um, these black planes have low-compression motors in them and will perform all right with a lower-octane gas. But the engine in the Spartan is high-compression. Must have a better gas. You mean a higher-octane gas? That's right. But, well... Well, I guess this sounds kind of foolish to you. But what is the difference between a low-octane and high-octane gas? Well, now, look. I'll give you the whole thing in a nutshell, Chuck. Did you ever throw a stone into the middle of a smooth pool of water? Oh, sure I have. All right. Now, did you notice the ripples? That is, little waves that start and keep moving until they head against the shore? Of course I have. Now, that is exactly what happens in the firing chamber of a gasoline engine. The splash of the stone in the pool is the same as the firing of the spark in the cylinder head. The time that it takes for those little waves to get to the shore is called lag. Lag? Mm-hmm. You mean like to, to lag behind? Yes, that's it exactly. Now, if the ripples go real fast, there isn't very much lag. And if they go real slow, there's a lot of lag. Now, in high-octane gas, which means it has a naturally higher body, the lag is very slow. Oh, I begin to get it. Then, if the lag is slow, which means the vapor takes a long time to burn, there wouldn't be any knock. Mm-hmm. And if the lag isn't slow, if the vapor burns quickly, there's liable to be a knock. Right. That's the whole story. The only other thing to remember is that engines are not all built the same. Certain ones require higher octane gas than others. You should always find out what gasoline will give the best performance in the engine you have. Oh, gosh. I see the whole thing now. But in general, isn't it true that lately the tendency has been toward higher compression engines which require a higher octane gas? That's right, Chuck. That's what the tendency has been. Well, enough of that. Come on, we might as well get started. Okay, I'm all set. Now, look, let's tiptoe out quietly so as not to awaken Senor Pareda. Okay, let's go. Yeah, come on. Easy, Chuck. Easy, not so fast. All right, you are, Red. Well, I've got to go very carefully now. I can't understand it, Red. I'm sure the field is right ahead. Well, we should be running into the cabin any second. Quiet now, wait. Let's go up to that next tree there. You know, this wind's a big help. It makes so much noise, it would be hard for anyone to hear it. Yes, and it would be hard for us to hear anyone else. Oh, look, Red, look. There's the cabin. Yes, yes, Chuck, you're right. Come on, let's go. Wait, wait a second, Chuck. Let's be sure no one's watching us. Okay, let's stand absolutely quiet a few seconds. Right. Uh, there's something about this I don't like, Chuck. It's the sound of that wind through the trees, Red. I never heard anything so spooky in all my life. You're right. It sort of, well, sort of sends chills down my back. I can't see a sign of anything, Chuck. Well, come on. We're going to make a break for the door. Okay, I'm ready. Now, let's don't make any more noise than we have to. Well, Andy, you go first, and I'll be right behind you. All right, go ahead. Go on. We're almost there. Right. Right around the corner now. Well, here we are. Please, and Deacon Fred. The door's wide open. Stop, Chuck, stop. Don't go in there. Listen, Red. Listen to that. Well, did Captain Midnight have a presentiment of disaster? What is the meaning of the open door? Are Ma and Patsy, together with the faithful miners, Pinky Drake and Slim Pool, still inside? Or is some enemy crouched in the blackness, ready to spring? Strange and mysterious events are ahead. Don't miss them. Tune in next Monday to Captain Midnight. Say, uh, no doubt you'll be out in the family car with Mother and Dad sometime tomorrow or Sunday. And here are two things you'll want to do. First, you'll want to stop by your Skelly service station for a tank full of Skelly Aeromax gasoline. Because Skelly Aeromax is a high-octane gasoline for modern motors 
just like Captain Midnight was explaining to Chuck in today's program. And Elmac's ethyl gasoline is even higher in octane. Your Skelly Man will tell you which one is best for your car. Then the other thing you'll want to do is to join the new 1940 Flight Patrol. Your Skelly Man will give you your junior pilot's application card right away and send right in for your spinning propeller medal of membership. Remember, it doesn't cost you a penny. So see your Skelly Man and join the new 1940 Flight Patrol tonight. Now don't forget to tune in again Monday, same time, same station, for further transcribed adventures of Captain Midnight. Brought to you by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. What is the significance of the weird cry which rings out over the sobbing of the wind? And what caused Captain Midnight to stop so suddenly? Be sure to listen Monday. Until then, this is Don Gordon, your Skelly Man, saying goodbye and happy landing! Listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast is a unique experience. You will be able to listen to several old-time radio shows in one episode. From Our Miss Brooks to Gunsmoke, from comedy to drama and even science fiction, it's all here. New free episode every Friday, and you can even subscribe for only 99 cents a month to double your listening pleasure. So make sure you click follow us and find us on Facebook. So relax and enjoy the shows. who is a problem to the police, but a crusader for law. In reality, Dan Garrett, a rookie patrolman, loved by everyone, but suspected by none of being the Blue Beetle. As the Blue Beetle, he hides behind a strange mask and a suit of impenetrable blue chain armor, flexible as silk, but stronger than steel. of the Blue Beetle is entitled Death Rides on Horseback. A mysterious masked rider has been waging a one-man war on the city's police department. Several policemen have been shot down, murdered in cold blood by this scene on horseback. Every man on the force has sworn vengeance against this mysterious killer. Patrolmen in pairs patrol their beats, but always the killer marks his victims, shoots him down, and gallops away to a secret hiding place in the vast wilderness of the city park. And no one tracking down? Is there no one to put an end to this one-man blitzkrieg? What is his motive? As our story opens, patrolman Dan Garrett, who is also the Blue Beetle, is with his friend and advisor, Dr. Franz, in his apothecary shop. Danny, what are you going to do? I'm going to get that killer if it's the last thing I do. Uh, be careful, Danny. You know this mysterious killer shoots policemen on sight. I know that. 
But you'll have to be pretty quick on the draw to beat Mannigan and me. I'd feel easier about you if you were dressed in your blue chain armor of impenetrable steel. Well, so would I. But first, I've got to meet this mysterious horseman in the uniform of a police officer. Mannigan and I are going to take a little jaunt through the park in a patrol car. Well, you need this, Danny. But be careful. I will, Doc. Well, I've got to be moving along. I'm meeting Mannigan at headquarters at 10 o'clock. Nearly that now. So long, Doc. I'll see you later. Danny, this mysterious killer may be the Blue Beetle. What makes you think that? I don't know. It's sort of a hunch I have. But the Blue Beetle has never been a killer. At least not of the forces of law and order. Yeah, that's true. But still, he's always working undercover. He, he may not be the killer, but it wouldn't surprise me to learn he is in cahoots with him. Ah, he's got the Blue Beetle on the brain. Ah, maybe so, maybe so, but... Someday I'm going to land that baby and... Uh, hey, hey, what's that stoplight ahead? It's changing. Okay. Uh, Danny, will you see if you can find me keys on the floor there? Hmm? I think they slipped out of my pocket when I got in the car. Okay. No, I don't see anything. All right, cover. cover. It's not burning this. Oh, you got me, Danny. The killer... Where, Manigan? In the neck and shoulder. I didn't have time to draw me. Well, I wasn't even looking. Those keys of yours. Yes, I know, Danny. Here. Here, move over this way. Let me slip under the wheel. Where are you going? I'm going to drive you to the hospital first, and then I... Oh, no, I'm not hurt by it. Let's get out to that baby that just winged me. Well, uh, are you sure you can hold out? Sure, I can. Well, okay, then. Here we go. No, he got Mannigan, though. Dead? No, nothing serious. They said at the hospital. Flesh wounds, that's all. How did it happen? Well, we stopped for the traffic lights in the park. I was looking for Mannigan's keys on the floor of the car when suddenly the killer appeared out of nowhere, started firing, and then dashed away in his horse. We gave chase but lost him in the woods. What are you going to do now? The blue beetle is going to nip this killer and nip him good. Your chain armor and mask is in the back room there. I rather expected you'd be needing them tonight. Thanks, Doc. And is my equipment in that secret place in my belt? Yes. Everything is complete. Fine. I borrowed a horse from the stables of the modded squad when no one was looking. He's outside now. As soon as I get into my blue beetle armor, there'll be another mysterious horseman in the park. But this one will ride as an avenging angel. <laughs> Tried to discourage her, but she insisted she was tired of writing about gardens and babies and society chit-chat. 
50 grade, that can... You'll get action if she runs into the killer. Well, that's what I'm afraid of. I've got a couple of our men tracking her just in case. He's got the stuff reporters are made of, or I don't know anything about her. Uh, yes, you're right. Thanks, Biggie. What? What? No sign of her since she what? Say, I told you not to let her out of your sight. I don't care what happens. Get back there and find that Mason girl and bring her in with you, or don't come back. What's happened? That was one of the men I sent to trade Joe. He says he saw her disappear behind some bushes at the foot of a cliff in the wildest part of the park. And when he got up to that point, there was no one in sight. Just then he heard hoofbeats approaching. He hid and saw a horseman dash by him, and he... What do you make of it? I don't know. But I'm going to call the commissioner and give him this information. We've got to find that girl. What has happened to Joan Mason? Who was the mysterious horseman Editor Crane mentioned? Was it the fiendish killer? Or was it the Blue Beetle? In the still of the night, a lone horseman steals along one of the park's many bridle paths. Suddenly, he draws rein. I wonder who that is ahead there, silhouetted against the sky. It may be a mounted officer. Or it may be... He's moving off. Down toward that traffic light on the highway. Let's go, Bright Star! There. You can't escape me. Empty your gun. You can't injure the blue beetle. Oh, it's a blue beetle. Try and catch me. I'm gaining on him. Now for a leap to his back. There. All right, killer. I've got you. Pull up or I'll choke the life out of you. I can't stop this horse. He's running away. Give me those reins. I tell you, you can't stop him now. And I'll turn him. He's heading right to that cliff. Here, we're going to kill him. Let me look all that. Yes, I've got you and I'm not going to leave you. If you want to carry all the way. entrance controlled by photoelectric cells set up high in two trees outside. Only a tall person on horseback passing between that can break the circuit which opens the secret entrance. Very ingenious. And now? Now I wish to talk with you. That's why I have you there in that cell. Why I led you into this rest house. Rest house? Yes. The blue beetle has been so active recently that we feel he should have a rest. Perhaps a permanent dress. I see. You say we. Then you are not in this alone. By no means. I'm only an agent. A special agent of a very powerful political ring who wish to discredit the present commissioner of police and put in their own. You think that murdering a policeman in cold blood, as you have done, will discredit him? Listen. Cops killed my brother. I hate cops. 
If you were a cop, I'd have shot you down like a dog. You're insane. No, ambitious. For what? Power. What can you hope to gain by murdering policemen? Cops are a dollar a dozen. They'll never be missed. But if we can make the citizens lose confidence in the present administration, we can put our own men in command of the city. You'll never put it over. Oh, stop it. The Blue Beetle. What? <laughs> the way you are in that cell? Don't make me laugh. Listen. You think you're smart because you cleaned up a few so-called big shots. You never even got near the top. Why, when I'm commissioner of police... You. Yes, me. The political power I represent has promised me the job. There's only one person standing in my way. Who? You. I'd have put you out of the way long ago. But Scarlatti... Uh, so, I mean... No, it's Scarlatti that's behind all this. Yes. I don't think for a minute you'll ever have a chance to spill the beans unless you agree to come in with us. You'll end your career in this little cell. The chief admires you and can use you. He wants you to be on our side. He wants you to to lay off his friends. Now, there's plenty of dough in it for all of us, and you get yours. I don't think you can agree to work with us and then double-cross us. We'll be wise to any trick you try to pull. I see. When does Scarletti want his answer? Mm, take your time. There's no hurry. Take a week to rest up here. You've been pretty active recently. You need the rest. Of course, there's uh, there's no food here, no drinking water. Unless I open this valve to the park reservoir and flood your cell. Hmm. But what's a little thing like that to the blue people? The answer is no. Go ahead, do your worst. Tell Scarletti that I say there's not enough money in the United States Mint to buy the Blue Beetle. I'll get Scarletti and others like him. No matter how high I have to fly. All right. I'll take your message to Scarletti, but when I return, you won't be alive to hear his answer. Now let's see you swim out of this, Mr. Blue Beetle. What will happen to the Blue Beetle now? Can he escape from this subterranean prison before the water reaches the level of his mouth? What will become of Joan Mason, the girl reporter who vanished just outside the secret hideout? Yes, yes. 
If I can get some more juice, I may be able to burn through these iron plates before the water rises too high. The water rises too high? Are you in danger? Look, Doc. Please don't ask questions. Just do as I say. It's your only chance to help. All right, Danny. I'll do what I can. Good. Now, hook up that energizer of yours to the radio locator. Turn in the midget antenna and my blue beetle helmet and shoot some energy through to me. You know, like you did last time. Oh, certainly, boy, certainly. Uh, just a minute now. There's the locator working. Two points west. And a half more. Ah, that's it. Hello, Danny. Danny, my dial indicates contact. Okay, Doc. Okay, shoot the juice through. Here it comes. Hello, Danny. Are you getting anything? Uh, sure thing, Doc. Coming through fine. The power of my magic ray is building up. Well, look, I'm going to try to burn my way out of here. I have to work above my shoulders. The water's up to my chest already. Well, hurry, Danny. Hurry. Listen, Doc. Listen, here it burns. I'm cutting right through the steel with my magic ring. Hurry, Danny. Hurry, boy. Hurry. Doc. Doc, can you give me a little more juice? I can't give you any more. You're getting the limit. Okay, Doc. Okay. The water's up to my neck, but there's only one more side to cut away. Then I'll be able to put... Danny! 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 Come on, come on, can you hear me? Answer me, Danny! What's happened? What's happened, Danny? And so, Chief, I turned on the valve and let him drown. I am sorry. He was a clever boy, but uh, too honest. What do you want done with that girl reporter? She must uh, disappear. Five minutes, please. I'll take care of it. Good. Listen, I am a respectable businessman. Everybody know I'm a respectable. I am a friend to everybody. You are my agent. You take care of a thing. Someday you'll be police commissioner. Thanks, Chief. And now you go. Take Rocco and a buggy with you. No, this way. Yeah. Nobody must see you leave my house. And remember, if my name is connected with this... Uh, you will also disappear permanently. Meanwhile, in the subterranean hideout, a ghostly figure is stealing up a winding stairway. Ahead of him, a spotlight plays on the wall as he mounts. In the middle of that circle of light is a large blue beetle. What's that noise? Just a minute, I'll see what I can do for you. Who are you? The blue beetle. Yes, the blue beetle. Who are you? John Mason of the Chronicle. How did you get in there? Some man put me in here. Hey, don't ask questions. Get me out of here. I'm cold and I'm hungry. Now, now, take it easy. I'll see if any of the master keys I have will fit. There you are. Thanks. Thanks. You're a good-looking girl. Never mind the compliments. Let's get out of this place. First, tell me how you got in. Well, I told the editor of my paper I wanted to work on this case. Dangerous work for a girl. Oh, I love danger. You must. Go on. Well, today I saw a horseman disappear in the bushes at the foot of the cliff. When he didn't reappear, I grew suspicious. So tonight, I decided to investigate. Just as I pushed my way through the bushes, 
I heard a horseman coming. I ran along the foot of the cliff. I must have slipped and fallen because the next thing I remember, I was lying at the bottom of the old abandoned bear pit. Yes? And then what happened? I noticed a large iron trap door in the floor of the pit. I raised it and found a flight of stairs. It was pitch dark, but I decided I was going to finish what I started. So I descended. In pitch darkness? Yes, I've got to show that editor that a woman can make as good a reporter as any man living. <laughs> I see. That accounts for it. Go on. Pretty soon, I turned a corner. I saw a light. By lantern night, a man was reading some documents. He must have heard me because he flashed a spotlight in my eyes. I turned to run, but it was too late. He grabbed me and put me in that room there where you just found me. How would you like to help me catch the killer? And also get a front-page scoop for your paper. I love it. Very well. I think we're going to see some action very soon. You stay hidden until I can get a gun for you. Can you shoot? Sure, I'm a Texas Ranger's uh, daughter. I want to unlock the girl's cell and bring her down to my office. Oh, boy, will I? She's a beautiful... Why, it can't be. Why, he's very much alive and ready to nip. Bravo. Cover your agent. You mustn't get out of here alive. We'll see who gets out of here alive, you foul murderer. Your time's up. Well, I can still shoot. Your killing days are over. You can't injure the blue beetle. A little kick to my foot and you're disarmed. And this, and this, and you're out like a light. Come on, you thug, Roscoe, or Paco, or whatever your name is. You're first. Hey, boss, boss, you get him from that side. And I'll get him from the blue beetle will get you both like this, by the throat. <laughs> I ought to strangle you both, but I'll let the law do that. You and your chief here and the old, so reputable Scarletti. There, I'll just knock your head together. Let go of you and let you fall. Miss Mason, you can come out now. Oh, I'm already out. I have these men covered with the gun you kicked out of the killer's hand. That's fine. Now, here's your chance to get a scoop for your paper. Well. Do you know Scarletti? Sure, he's the big one distributor. Yes, and he's also the top man of the underworld. He's bigger than the Duke, the Octopus, and a lot of others. Really? That respectable businessman? The same. If his scheme for political control had clicked, the killer there would have been made commissioner of police. That murderer? Yes. Oh, what a diabolical scheme. Yes, the city would have been systematically robbed and the police made helpless. Oh, what a story for the Chronicle. Well, this story will make me... I hope so. What are you going to do? The Blue Beetle has one more call to make tonight. Hello. Hello. I'm telling you, I'm a respectable businessman. I know. No. How much money? Summertime, I wish I was an also honest. No, I know one of some part of it. Why you not talk to someone like the, the Adder? He's a crook, but to me, I'm a respectable businessman. Go by. The Blue Beetle. Yes, the Blue Beetle, you hypocrite. Why, you come here. I'm a respectable... Yes, I know you're a respectable businessman to most of the world, but not to the Blue Beetle. What do you mean? You know Canopy. That's the noise. She's That's it. the law. Coming for you, Scalady. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes, your sins have found you out. 
Your candidate for police commissioner is already a prisoner. Incriminating documents connecting you with many murder projects and underworld rackets are in the hands of the York City Chronicle and will be published. Put down that gun, Scarletti. It's too late for... Oh. You choose suicide rather than face the music. Well... Your death will help to clean up a lot of rackets. Open up in the name of the dollars. Open this door. Break it in for Coleman Mandigan. The Blue Beetle has a present for you. All right, Blue Beetle. All right, I've got you covered. Wait. He's gone. Hey, Mannigan. Look on the floor there. Carletti. He's wounded. There's a note pinned to his body. Yes. This is a... King of the Underworld. A present from the Blue Beetle to Detective Mannigan. Again, the Blue Beetle has crossed swords with Gangland and come off the winner. Can the great city now rest in peace? Will the criminal element lie low now that their hypocritical chief has been unmasked? Let's look in on Dr. Fran's little apothecary. Well, Danny, you, you certainly had me worried when your voice was suddenly cut off in that flooded cell. <laughs> well, that was a close call. The water rose to the level of my mouth just as I finished cutting a way out of it. So, I had to swim underwater to the stairway, but when I reached that, I was safe. Well, now, Danny, I... Uh, you'd better get some rest. It's, it's almost daylight. Uh, you can turn in on the couch. Oh, thanks, Doc. I think I will. Uh, excuse me. Hello? Who? Dan Garrett? Yes. Yes, he's here. Oh, uh, Danny. It's for you. Okay. Hello? Dan Garrett speaking. Oh, hello, Manigan. You did? Gee, that was great. You ought to get a promotion. Huh? Insurance racket. Well, that sounds like an interesting assignment. The commissioner wants to see me at 8 o'clock in his office? Okay, I'll be there. Good night. Sorry, Doc, I can't stay with you. I've got to get home and lay out my dress uniform. I'm due at the commissioner's office in a few hours, and I've got to look my smartest. So long, Doc. There's no rest for the law. gets ready for a new assignment. What will develop in the insurance racket? What new dangers will he face? Can it be that there are still some criminal masterminds at work in the great city? These questions will be answered in the next episode of The Blue Beetle. Fox feature appearing in Mystery Men Comics magazine on sale at your newsstand. The Blue Beetle is on the air twice a week on this same station. Consult the broadcast schedule in your local newspapers and don't forget to listen in.
for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Have a good day.